What's up, wrestling fans? Ah, it's that time for them boys from 607 Podcast to talk all things pro wrestling. That's right, it's time for this week's edition of 607TWS. Better known as 607 Podcast presents The Wrestling Show. Coming to you from the ODPH Podcast Dungeon, the realest thing in pro wrestling. And of course, we are here to give you your weekly recap of all things pro wrestling, preview the upcoming week, and call shit right down the middle. Okay, I'm your host, and I'm also the host of the 3FM Podcast. My name is Rich, and joining me in the co-pilot's chair as he does each and every week, you know him as the host of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast, better known as the ODPH. I'm talking about Ken M. 607 Podcast fam, what is happening? What is going on? What is good? Let's talk some pro wrestling, shall we? I love it. Talking pro wrestling. Yes. Talking pro grappling. Having a good time. It's been a good, it's another good week here in the world of pro wrestling. Very good week of pro wrestling. I even got pro wrestling in during my vacation. I had that little mini vacation out of town mm-hmm. watching pro wrestling from the hotel room. But you had to for that card, though. Oh, absolutely. We'll talk about that in the mid-card, so mm-hmm. just so you guys know that. But awesome, awesome week, awesome times. Hopefully, everybody listening had an awesome week and had a good time watching pro wrestling. Hopefully, being the best fan you can possibly be, enjoying all that there is to offer in this golden age of pro wrestling. It's such a renaissance right now. It really is, and there's so many different ways to watch it. There's so many different avenues. There's so many different companies. There is a little bit of something for everybody. That's why it's kind of weird when you still see the petty out there. I digress. We will probably get into that today as well. Yeah, we, and it's an unfortunate thing. Unfortunately, yes. each and every week. But before we dive in and really talk about pro wrestling, let's let them know what's on the card for the night before we also give, let them know how to find us. All right, Ken? Let's so do it. in the main event, we are going to be talking Inconvenient Truth Part 2. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm calling the Tony Khan problem. And before any of the AEW fans out there go, oh, he's bashing Tony Khan and AEW, no, no, no. There is just some issues that I think that some people don't realize that have to do with Tony Khan. Trust me, next week, a little spoiler alert, we will be talking about the Triple H myth as well Mm -hmm. in WWE. So it does work both ways. We have everything set up for you guys. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. We got you covered here on 607TWS. But... In the mid-card, we will be reviewing Game Changer Wrestling's homecoming weekend. Mm-hmm. It was a massive weekend. Of course, we're going to kick off the mid-card by giving you that NGPW G1 Climax 32 update. But first, in the opening contest, we will be recapping the week that was in professional wrestling, as well as bringing up this week's, uh, I shouldn't say hottest news, but news and giving you our takes and opinions as we do. With that being said, though, before we go any further, Ken M, tell the fine folks how to find yourself and the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast. Very simple. Swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. They're right on the front page. Check out Parlay Points, new blogs, count anywhere. Talking a little AEW and Circle Six this week, Ooh. along with the NWA and the T Public Store, the classified section where you can find friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games. And a lot more, if it's anything and everything, it would be the ODPH. It's found at odphpodcast.com. And, of course, if you would like to find myself in the 3FN Podcast, that's right, you can do so at 3FNPodcast.com. All the information is there, all the social links, a link to our T Public Store, the link to the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month to get a ton of extra bonus content, 
uh, patreon.com slash 3FN podcast. Also, while you're at it, the Twitch channel is linked there, twitch.tv slash 607 podcast. Make sure you're following us over at that link. I can tell you right now, we are going to have a big weekend, Labor Day weekend, as we will be coming to you live in the post show for both uh, Clash at the Castle and for uh, AEW all out. So mm-hmm. there you go. You have looked forward to some live shows coming up. They will also be put out in podcast form, but if you would like to watch them live and throw in your chat, make sure you're following us over on twitch.tv slash 607 podcast. And last but certainly not least, there's all sorts of other things, directories and stuff, and the website is still under construction. I've got a whole bunch of ideas that we'll be rolling out over the next couple months. It's going to be awesome. I promise you that much. And with that being said, though, Ken M, I do believe that uh, you have a favorite part of the show, and I always like to give it to you. So, without further ado, it's time! That is right, it is time to kick off this week's episode of 607TWS, and we're going to start off with a recap, and we're not going to break down what happened on each individual show when we talk recap. No, 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 no. What we're just going to do is talk about some of the highlights and some of the lowlights, unfortunately, in the week of pro wrestling, because mm. there's always, with the yin, there is the yang. There's balance. And as the, as the podcast that calls it right down the middle... We have to give you all of our thoughts and opinions, positive or negative. And once again, there's a difference between toxicity and just being negative on something. Right. You can dislike something and be respectful. That is what we aim for in our opinions. However, if you are just like, hey, if you don't believe what I believe, that makes you a piece of shit or you don't know what you're talking about, that makes you a gatekeeper and a toxic fan. Mm -hmm. So we always forewarn about that because I like the conversation. You might not necessarily think what I think is bad is bad. You might not necessarily think what I think is good. Same with Ken. We don't always agree with each other. However, that is why we're here for the conversation. Mm -hmm. Let's keep that conversation alive on the social medias, whether it's at 3FN Podcast on Twitter for me or at ODPH Podcast for Ken. Let's keep those conversations alive as we like to talk to you. Absolutely. And also have that respect with other people out there as well. Ah, I hit the table. That, I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> You're that excited to talk about it, man, because it's, it's been a crazy week. Like I say, not as, I would say, overwhelmingly hectic as the last week was, but there's still a lot of news to talk about. Absolutely, of course. Let's dive in. Uh, the week that was. Uh, Monday Night Raw. I'm, I'm not going to really talk about anything in speci- uh, specific. It's just another good episode of Monday Night Raw. I think Triple H's era can be defined by bringing prestige back to the actual flagship show, which is Raw. Uh, your thoughts? It's much in the same vein of when you see something get rebooted and reminded of what it matters. And what Triple H is really trying to do to the WWE Universe is remind them that wrestling is in the name. That it's not so much about sports entertainment per se because he spent a lot of time giving a lot of prestige to the United States title, to the Intercontinental title, putting emphasis back on women's wrestling and tag team wrestling. He is doing a lot to really showcase what the brand is really all about. That under the Vince McMahon era of late, it really got away from that and really shifted the focus towards the entertainment aspect. He's really taken the time to give a lot back to the fans. He's really doing a lot of his plans that I think he was expecting to do in NXT before he was removed. That now he's got all the toy boxes, so to speak, so he's putting together the best team possible. I agree. And like I said, there's a lot of people who have rose-colored glasses. I don't. Mm-hmm. Every week I, I'm watching. Now I'm watching. I wasn't. I didn't watch for two and a half years. Right. And I, if I wasn't finding it entertaining, I just want to watch. 
That, that's the facts of the matter. And I think that we're seeing more matches. We're seeing better matches. We're seeing better promo segments. Oh, absolutely. We are seeing real storylines. We are seeing importances being put back onto championships. First, the United States title, then the Intercontinental title on SmackDown, which we, I know we haven't gone to yet because there's obviously something big we're going to be talking about there. Mm-hmm. But SmackDown was another fine show. I don't think the SmackDown was as good as Raw. No, I, I, I'll, that's a first statement. I, it's kind I of, agree it's with kind that. Of, it's kind of weird. Once again, we're getting back to where this, the flagship is raw. And I, I think that's an interesting an, an interesting synopsis. Well, I think it also goes back to where Triple H really knows where the areas that need improvement. And Raw has been very stagnant for quite some time. That I think he knows that that needs more of the fix in SmackDown. I, I agree. But I also would like to point out that, like, like I said, I think it has to do with that prestige mm-hmm. of being known as the flagship show for World true, Wrestling Entertainment. True, true. And for a long time, especially because of the Fox deal, SmackDown kind of became that. Right. Even though, let's be honest, it wasn't that much better than Raw. You just had the biggest star in the business there. Mm-hmm. But at the same point in juncture, there's a lot of fresh air. And I think that's why fans are super excited. It has nothing to do with rose-colored glasses. There's still things that need to be fixed. There's still things that I think Triple H needs to address. And I think he will address. However... And, you know, take it day by day. It looks like he's building in the right direction. Hmm. Uh, going back real quick before we talk about that big SmackDown return. Once again, let's add in there. The women's division is looking good. Yes. Uh, I hear the criticism out there about how WWE is doing the women's tag titles and they don't have tag teams. And I'm like, well, they, they didn't have tag teams because they never built them before. Right. So let's give it a chance. Some of these singles stars who aren't getting pushed being put into a tag team that if they continue being a tag team, which some of them may – then we'll have a tag division. You act like it's like, oh, we have all these things out there that there's all these women's tag teams around. There's just not. As somebody who watches a lot of wrestling, there's just not a lot of, you know, even in the indies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look right now and you go, well, there's toxic attraction on NXT, but they're on NXT. They're, eventually, they probably will be on the main roster. Right. There's Katana now, sorry, formerly Casey Catanzaro yeah. and and uh, Caden. They're, they're a tag team. That's fine. They, and they're the tag champs in NXT. So you're not going to see them on Raw and SmackDown going after those tag titles right now because they're already being used somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, like, outside of what do you got? The Iconics who can't wrestle right now because congratulations, yes, congratulations. To, to Peyton Royce, who is now uh, expecting uh, her first child with her and, and Sean Spears. So mm-hmm. congratulations to them. So obviously that takes them off the table. Yes. We just saw Chelsea Green and Deanna Parazzo win the Impact Wrestling Knockouts Tag Team Championships. Right. So congratulations to them. But that takes them off the table. So am I missing any tag teams out there in the female world? I mean, I might be missing some in the in the indies. And if I am, and if you're one of those wrestlers and you're listening, I'd, I'd love to plug you. I'd love to watch your stuff. But I don't see too many of them out there. No, I would say the only one maybe it was the inspiration, but then Madison Rain just signed with AEW. So Right. So that kind of throws it hanging there. Uh, you could say what Dr. Britt Baker DMD's little click, but I wouldn't say that's a tag team. That's I more say of a that, faction and right. a faction. And, but they do tag together. Mm-hmm. You could say that maybe Chris Statlander and Athena, but once again, that's two singles wrestlers thrown together. Same thing. Going with, by that logic of what you're bitching about in WWE. Same thing with Thunderstorm. Thunderstorm, also two singles wrestlers who are now going to have to fight each other for the AEW Women's World Championship. Yeah. Uh so once again. As we pointed uh-huh. out, it, you know, you're, if you're bitching on one end, you got to bitch on both. You got to be. Uh, that's why we call it down the middle. Right. I mean, there is a couple other tag teams that I was just thinking about off the top of my head. Of course, you have uh, uh, Rosemary and Havoc. Oh, Decay. Decay is, yep. is a thing. I mean, it is a part of a faction, but they are a tag team in that faction. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a few others out there. But once again, it's not like there's this rich tradition of female tag teams. You know, post the '80s. Right. 
There's a handful. <laughs> and right now, I mean, let's be honest, we're trying to get Bailey's group over. And EO Sky and Dakota Kai are going to be a tag team. Right. So give it a chance. Let it build. Oh, exactly. I mean, this is just a small steps to get in the right direction. But I think what they've done so far, they've really done some interesting pairings. And we'll see how it kind of you know goes from there. By the way, shout out to that uh, that first round match on Raw too. Oh, that, that was, was a very a good great tag team. match. Very good tag team match. Definitely showed off what EO Sky and Dakota Kai are about and what they can do, as well as proving that they're they're heels. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I thought that uh, Tamina did a very well job, did a nice job in there as well. Her yeah, and, her and Dana Brooke. So it was kind of an interesting tag team. I would like to see more of them as a tag team. Maybe not your tag team champions of the world, but I think that brute force, muscle strength, female team would be awesome. Yeah, I do too. Uh, which brings me to. Next week's Raw already. Obviously, this is going to come out before then, but we already know. Remember, we were saying we were bringing Prestige back to the United States title. Last week, uh, the, we had T- Ciampa mm-hmm. versus Lashley in a tremendous match. Even in loss, Ciampa looked like a million bucks. Right. Lashley looked like a million bucks. I mean, that belt is a challenge. Now this week, we have another United States Championship match. Bobby Lashley defending against the phenomenal one AJ Styles. What a main event. Who doesn't think they're not trying to bring Prestige back to that title? Oh, exactly. They're they're playing it very smart, and and that is a main event match no matter where you go, belt or no belt. Absolutely. And then you go to SmackDown, and coming into this, we knew we had a big Intercontinental title match this week, Gunther versus Nakamura. Yes. Very good match. Oh, extremely Phenomenal good match. match, showing how talented both men are. Gunther comes out. He's still your Intercontinental champion, but once again, borrowing from Triple H what he was already doing, he get there was a pre- video package mm-hmm. for the Intercontinental title legacy. Reminding us the importance and the names who have been World Wrestling Entertainment Intercontinental Champion, a who's who's of Hall of Famers and legends of the business. Yeah. And then you have this tremendous match, and I would expect to see more Intercontinental title matches on SmackDown in the near future. I would say with Roman off TV, that is going to be your main event, as it should be. Oh, absolutely. But let's talk about the big thing from SmackDown, because I know, I know you really want to talk about this. Papa H goes back into the bag of uh, bag of tricks. Actually, we had two big injuries. Yep. Should we, let's go back to Raw first. I, I, I want to keep you hanging. Yeah. I really do. Because I forgot to give it to one of my favorite things of the week. The setup for the return of Dexter Loomis. Mm-hmm. If you guys weren't watching Raw, this was a master class in how to set something up in a new and vibrant way. So... I'll take you back. If you weren't watching, or if you were, there was a promo with Kevin Owens mm-hmm. after he destroys Ezekiel with a uh, pop-up power bomb, if you will, onto the apron. And he's like, "I'm back to being me," which we knew was going to come with Triple H. Right. I'm. I'm going to show you exactly why. I, I'm tired of being looked over. I'm the guy here. Loved it. Loved mm-hmm. the promo. But while he's cutting this great promo, in the background, you can see a car that has been crashed into a pole. Yeah. And outside of the car, you can see Dewdrop and I think Nikki, Nikki ASA I was, Nikki. was there. And there's a few other people. So they never mention it. Commentary doesn't mention it. Nobody around mentions it. So I'm like, oh, maybe somebody in real life crashed their car. Yeah. Because we're, we're having our little convenience. I mean, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm having a conversation with a good friend, Walt, about what we watch like we do every, yeah, every sure. time there's a show on. And, and we're like, that's weird. That's odd. Maybe it's real. So then we fast forward to the latter part of the show, and they are doing an interview for next week's tag team, women's tag team tournament. And while they're doing the interview, all of a sudden, cops run by the talent. And you're like, what the? F-? 
Just go, and nobody mentions yeah, it. Yeah, nobody's once again nobody on commentary. Not even the people on screen. Yeah, Alexa so, Bliss is looking like, what is just going on? And we don't know what's going on. You're like, what the hell is going on? So get, the end of the show happens. AJ Styles, you know, does not. Uh, AJ Styles comes out for the save. Looks like a million bucks. He gets the mat. You know, all of a sudden, we look out, and there's security and police tackling some fan. Yeah. Was AJ Styles celebrates his win over the Miz. Next thing you know, the camera never focuses on him. This is what I like to point out. AJ Styles finally notices that there's a commotion, and he looks over towards the commotion just like, well, there's a commotion. And they never focus on the commotion. They never zoom in. They don't give you a tight shot. All of a sudden, you see the person come up who's in a hoodie, and the hoodie come back while he's in cuffs, and it's Dexter Loomis, Sam Shaw, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. But it's like Dexter Loomis. It's Dexter Loomis, yeah. Yeah. So, and they take him away that quick. It's just like, and you miss it. Obviously, later on, the website and everybody else would get a closer picture. But on the live television, and then all you hear is Corey Graves says, is that, is that who I think it is? Yeah. And that, that's it. It's perfectly played. Cut. Beautiful. Beautiful. In a day and age where the lights go out and somebody shows up or somebody interferes in a match. And once again, I'm not saying that I'm against those when used right. How great was it to see something fresh and new that I thought was is, was impressive, especially for the Dexter Loomis character? Oh, it fits perfectly. And this was such a surprise because I don't think anybody really heard he was coming back. Like, you know, obviously. There was a rumor that he might be coming back, but there's a rumor that everybody might be yeah, coming exactly. back. Yeah, exactly. So there wasn't a lot of stock to put into it, but this was set up perfectly. This is a big introduction for him. And if he's going to have what appears to be a first program with AJ Styles, I mean, that's a big introduction to the main roster. I'm fully expecting Dexter Loomis will cost AJ Styles his United States title shot Agreed. on Monday. Agreed. I'm fully expecting that. I'm also expecting that possibly we're going to get see some form of the way on the main roster. I'm not saying Gargano's coming back. I mean, I would like to see it. But I would think that maybe next time Theory tries to cash in money in the bank, maybe he has a little help from Dexter Loomis. Possibly or Indy Hartwell gets called up. I think they're all coming. Yeah. Honestly, once again – I do think Gargano's coming back. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Between the fact that his best friend is now being a focal point of Raw. Yes. The fact that the person he admires, much like that person, Triple H, is running Raw. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a hard sell for him not to come back. That's not saying he has to. But if he does, I think you're going to see the way on Raw. As heels, as they should be. Mm-hmm. I agree. As they should be. I think that's going to be the best way to do it. Going for it for right now. Mm-hmm. But let's get off of that one. Let's get on to the one that I know you were super excited about. Earlier on Friday, we heard rumors going around that there was a possibility that Hit Row Hit Row would be returning to SmackDown. Hit Row. Fast forward to SmackDown. We got some jobbers in the ring. We got Pat McAfee breaking them down on the teleprompter, which I thought was hilarious. That was, that was incredible. Now, I was thinking that they're going to get squashed by Omus. They're going to get squashed by, you know, on Apollo Crews, whoever. You know mm. what I mean? I thought that they were just going to get squashed by by a singles guy. You know, show somebody off. Didn't even cross my mind it was going to be tagged. Because usually when that happens, that's what it is. Right. But then we got what, Ken? Hit row. And we have the return of Ashanti the the Adonis, mm-hmm. Top Dollar, and B-Fab Hit Row to World Wrestling Entertainment. More importantly, to SmackDown to join, you know what? What was kind of a fledgling tag team. And I don't want to float... 
our boats here. Mm-hmm. But at last week when we were kind of talking about Triple H repairing things and like, hey, he's look what he's doing with the bells, look what he's doing with the women's division, look what he's doing, you know, right now. Hey, will it be long before he puts some prestige on that tag division? Hey, listen, they might not be what people think is one of the top tag teams. They're definitely one of the most entertaining. I think they can be a top tag team. Oh, absolutely. But this is going to be, this is a great get for the tag division. Maybe we are going to see some prestige and some respect put on the WWE tag division. After all, I liked their performance. I thought they did very well. Of course, we'll get to the aftermath in a second. How I know you're a huge Hit Row fan. How are you feeling about Hit Row back in World Wrestling Entertainment? About damn time. About <laughs> damn time. I love Hit Row. I was ecstatic when they came out. When I when I saw the three of them show up, I was like marking out because this is a great add to the tag team division. And plus, their first time when they got called up, they really, really were not given the fair shot. And this is a perfect time for Triple H to that saw so much potential in NXT that we all saw as fans watching the program. Like, this group is something special. Agreed. And now... You get them on the main stage. They had a great debut, and the sky is literally the limit, and I'm super, super, super excited about this. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. I, I will throw it out there. Uh, for, for those people out there that need a little history lesson, of course, everybody went into, oh, well, Swerve's not there. What are they going to do without Swerve? They need Swerve. First of all, Hit Row has been around way longer than Swerve was mm-hmm. with uh, Top Dollar put it out there. Hit Row has been around since the Indies. Yes. They got signed. They put them with Swerve when he came in. But the theme music has been around that he made. The concept is what Top Dollar made. And it's not him bragging. He's, once again, he's no, all respect is, in the world yeah. to Swerve. But don't tell me we need somebody to lead us. We are our own thing. And I'm with that. I think that they're a great addition to the tag team division. B-Fab is a great addition to the women's division. Absolutely. She's great as the, the 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 mouthpiece and the manager, if you will, for them as a tag. And vice versa, them with her. I think this is a win for two different divisions. Mm-hmm. On top of all of that, I don't think they need somebody else. Because, of course, and no, def- and I'm going to defend this right now, uh, Carmelo Hayes got thrown out there. Yeah. The, maybe the leader of, of Hero. And I'm like, that doesn't need to happen. Right. First of all, Carmelo Hayes is going to be a superstar in this business. Mark my words. Facts. No, that's Mark that's the facts. time clock right now. If you don't believe that Carmelo Hayes is not going to be a megastar in this business – I don't know what you're, you know, maybe in the Vince McMahon era, maybe he was kind of lost in the shuffle. In the Triple H era, I guarantee when Carmelo Hayes comes to the main roster, we will see him pushed because he has the intangibles. He's phenomenal in the ring. He's phenomenal on the mic, and he's a great gimmick. And him and Trick together, and Trick being the manager and the muscle, is is a winning combination. It's brilliant. And I don't see a reason to make them part of Hit Row for, for that reason. But the other reason is I think Hit Row is a fine tag team and a fine female wrestler to be on their own as their own little group. I don't think either needs the other one to succeed. I think both are going to succeed quite fine on their own. Absolutely agree 100% on all accounts. Trick and Carmelo are perfect together. It's a brilliant pairing because, you know, what they, they play off each other very well, and they are going to be a force when they get called up. And Hit Row can stand on their own. Like, they don't need any other entity with them. Like, I'm sorry. They're fine as is. You just got to give Top Dollar the microphone anytime you need. And trust me, he will get that crowd going one way or another, just depending on if he's a heel or face. That's how talented this group is. And then just get them in a tag team program with somebody. Get B-Fab in a, tag, in, a, in a program with somebody. Watch them go. They just need the chance to get on there. They now have it. And trust me, we're going to be talking about this in a couple months. They're going to be in, in talks for a title one way or another. 
By the way, inconvenient truth that the Young Bucks owned uh, Top Dollar and Hit Row before is, is wrong. And oh, I, 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 I saw, that, I saw this. this coming over like, oh, that's, those are the clowns that the Young Bucks put in their place. Um, first of all, uh, it was Top Dollar's rap about not even about them. It was about them, but it, he never named them. Mm-hmm. They got them to out themselves for wearing fake Jordans. Oh, okay. Remember right, that? Now, yeah, now and now. And, and then okay. people were like, oh, the Bucks, when they called them out, what? no, the Bucks didn't win. Are the Bucks a better tag team? Yes, but they've also been a tag team for fucking 20 years. Yeah. The, the, the problem is, is the top dollar called them out, and without even saying their names, they felt they felt violated and outed themselves for wearing fake Jordans. <laughs> I, so I, I, once you admit to wearing fake shit when your gimmick is that you're rich and powerful... I thought something happened recently. I forgot. I completely no. forgot about all this. Yeah. I oh, mean, that got brought back up when Hit Row returned. Gotcha. But, you know, it's it's on that side. Once again, Kool-Aiders are going to Kool-Aid. Yeah. It's the same thing as drones are going to drone. Like we're, it's it, Once again, we're right down the middle. No. No, no. Mm-hmm. The inconvenient truth. The the truth of the matter is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, yeah, Top Dollar got their number. And they even tried to send Max Caster against them, and then Top Dollar... Killed him in a in a in a in a freestyle as well. Nobody like, wants to challenge Top I, Dollar. Nobody. Top Dollar's a real rapper. Yeah. Max Caster's entertaining, but Max Caster's a rapper in the John Cena sense of the uh-huh. rapper. Top Dollar's a real rapper. Yeah. So you might want to be careful with with starting wars with Top Dollar. I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there. Thousand percent facts. It's just like you know, right now Max Caster and AEW stay away from Top Dollar. Don't fucking just let them do what they're Don't doing. Don't get talked into because it because if you get talked into it, they're gonna let him go and they're gonna let him freestyle and it's gonna be bad for you. It's kind of like what the game is gonna find out pretty soon with Eminem. Uh huh. Like you don't speak the man's name and and everybody's forewarned him. Like you don't you don't say his name when you say his name. He's the Candyman. He comes. <laughs> yeah. Like and that's that's what's gonna happen here too. Just food. For oh, I'd be I'd be very fearful on a Friday night if they decided to try doing that and Top Dollar gets the microphone right before Rampage. Whew. That that could get ugly Ooh. real quick. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about AEW. Let's talk about Dynamite sure. in more specific. Uh, listen, once again, I'm sorry. I know there's some people out there, and it's the raw raw crowd. And if you really truly believe it that these are the great shows that they're putting on, that's fine. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. For me, not so much. Once again, this has been better than some of the last couple weeks, but I didn't think this was great. First hour starts off fairly decent. But then it, it's like right after the, the women's match at 9-10, everything just kind of goes downhill quickly, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it wasn't a horrible show. I think this is the best one that they've had in a little while. Yeah, I'll give you that. But once again, it was not one that was like, oh, man, this is an amazing card that I really want to see. But I once again, and I hate to be the guy that points out negatives over everything, mm-hmm. but I, I cannot stand what they're doing with Hangman Page. It's puzzling. It just like you literally are saying you have nothing for him. Right. The former AEW World's Heavyweight Champion. And you would think that the losing the title might have put a little fire under his ass. Maybe that was the story you want to tell. But instead, we get this segment with the Young Bucks where they're kind of hat in hand apologizing and asking him to be his their trios partner. And his response is to not be like, hey, you guys fucked me over, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. And be aggressive about it because that would make more sense. He goes... He puts his hat in hand and goes, well, guys, the the, the, the Dark Order has been my friends and I'm going to support them. So I'm not going to be in the tournament. And you're just like, but why would why is that? Why is that a thing? And I understand some people think that Kenny Omega is going to be the third partner <laughs> and it, he could be. Yeah, I, but- I, I, I as much as I'm an Omega fan, because I'm a huge Kenny Omega fan. 
I just don't think that that's the place to bring back Kenny Omega, but God forbid, you know, if that's what they think they have to do, then do it. Uh, we're going to talk about some of that booking decisions later in the show uh, because of that inconvenient truth at the end. Mm. But I just, I just don't know. I just, I, I just don't like what they're doing with Hangman Page. I have no problem with what they did with the Young Bucks, but Hangman Page, instead of just being like, "Hey, man, I, I lost a belt. I've sacrificed myself, and I did a lot of dumb shit to get there. I'm tired of eating shit. I'm tired of being a joke. I'm tired of being looked down upon. Yeah, you guys fucked me over, and I'm not going to trust you again because you'll fuck me over again." Instead of saying that, he's just like, "Well, guys, uh, I'm real sorry, though." It's like an ex-girlfriend situation. It's like you left your ex, you're with somebody new, and then your ex wants to get back together, and you really want to be with her, but you're like, oh, you know. The problem that they've been doing is this whole Bucks hangman angle has been getting built on BTE. And who's really watching that this these days? It's not the must-watch show it used to be. So a lot of this, I think they've been building up there, but... To do it on the main show, which, you know, let's let's be honest, most of your fans are watching Dynamite. They're not going searching out BTE these days. So to try building it up there, it just doesn't connect to the to the major audiences watching on Wednesday nights. So to see this happen, I will say this. I did actually like that he finally acknowledged the Dark Order has been with him since day one. I thought that that was kind of interesting. But it's all setting up that something's going to happen. Like, I'm already going to call it. Something's going to happen with the Dark Order. Either they get beat the first round and, like, House of Black really does some damage to them that this forces the page to go in there like he gets the blessing from him, like you know go be with the bucks you guys deserve this there's some kind of nonsense like the that. bucks are going to win their first round match as as a, as a handicap yeah it's probably just going to be those two or he'll come save them or he'll do something yeah yeah and then and then that's and then they'll be the the team there on that one side of the bracket kenny omega is not going to be in this tournament i'm sorry he's not i'm going to call when kenny omega is coming back if they're smart if oh. they're smart and we're gonna they're smart when cm punk Becomes the undisputed yep, champion. Walks all right out. out at the end. Then, then Omega comes out Agreed. face to face with Punks. You can set up. You can we can start building into uh, full gear. No, yeah, full, full gear. gear. Yeah, full gear is next. Yeah, you have November. We start building into full gear, and that being your main event. Yeah. that's my opinion. No, I'm, I'm right that's there. Smart, but that would be smart money. Now, it might happen that Omega comes back this week, but once again, little tease for the main event because you're going to want to come back for that because that's going to be part of that problem. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happened, of course, we got a big surprise on on, on Dynamite as well. Is the return of CM Punk? Yes. And showing that he's not, that he's not, uh, you know, he's medically cleared, I'm assuming. Uh, I don't think he's at 100%. No, he's like about 80. I know that he did the dance in the ring and everybody thought they got played, but there was parts where he wasn't hamming it up when he was running to the ring where you could see there was still a little bit of a limp. Now, mind you, it could be all mental and he could just be compensating because of the injury. However, I don't think he's 100%, but I think he'll be 100%. Or close to it by all out. He was close to it, but if you look at it, when he comes to the ring, and I forget who he hits before Sammy Guevara tries doing the jump outside to the mm-hmm. onto him, you do see him get very gingerly walking on it. Once, once again, it could yeah, which, just be mental. It, sure, it, it could be, but he did that a couple times before he got in the ring, so that's why I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I think he's close to being back, and obviously if, if they were setting him up to go stand, have the face-off with Moxley at the end, He's going to be fine by the time he gets to. That's what I'm saying. I think he'll be fine by yeah. all out. Don't do, do do not think that I'm saying that. I don't right, think you're right. going to see him wrestle. You'll see him on TV. Oh, okay. But I think that he will be at all out in 100. percent I'll even say this: he's probably going to open up Dynamite this week with a promo. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yep. Uh, so other than that, like it, the Jericho match, I saw some people out there, including Dave Meltzer, who gave it almost five stars. And to me, this was the perfect, like, three, three-and-a-half-star match. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Jericho is 
not Lionheart at all. No. <laughs> uh, he's he's definitely a lot of steps slower. At this stage of the game, it, I would it's rather tough. see Sting in the ring. Yeah, exactly. Sting is moving around a lot quicker, in my opinion, than, than I Jericho. Agree. Yeah, like that's that's the one thing about this is Chris is still going out there and he's still performing, but it's not on that same level. And listen, Father Time catches up with everybody. Yeah, this is not a shot yeah. just on him or his legacy. Father, it's Father Time. He's a fifty-some-year-old man. Yeah, you're not going to be able to do the same moves that you used to do when you were Lionheart. So in your twenties. <laughs> yeah. So like, you, you have to really adapt that style. And I know that he's still trying to push the pace. And like, listen, I applaud him to go do it. I'm never going to, you know, take a shot like that. But I'm just saying, watching at home, it's like this is not the same Chris Jericho of old. And trying to, you know, really maximize his potential at, you know, 50 plus now is like this is a little scary line to walk. Once again, I, it was not. Uh, I didn't think it was a bad match. I thought it was a good match. It was okay match. I, yeah. I wouldn't put it near five stars though. And, but, but once again, that's his opinion. That's yeah. fine. As long as, it, once again, I think people put too much into the opinions of Dave Meltzer. I just use that as an opinion because there's a lot of people echoing it. It's like, listen, his opinion is his opinion. You're allowed. He's not the end all be all. Whatever your opinion is, it's it's art. Mm-hmm. We say it all the time. Every week we tell you about how art is subjective. Yeah. Whatever you believe, the opinion is the opinion is. So uh, once again, I just I just have a hard time buying into it. So. That's just me. That's that's a recap kind of of the week, unless you want to add something else in there. No, I was just going to say, I want to know your opinion of when Moxley was in the uh, – it wasn't the, the Lion Tamer. He was in the Lion Tamer. But no, he was, he was during Picture and Picture. Picture the yeah, entire time. The entire time. He, they had him in the Lion Tamer, which was anticlimactic. I know a lot of people spoke out against it, and Jericho was like, oh, I can defend it. I'll debate you on it. I would love to I – I will take that debate. I know he was offering it to Dave Meltzer, mm-hmm. but I'll take that debate. Because that's bad television. Yes, I agree with you completely. Because if you would have, okay, so you're in the line tamer, but he broke rope broke in the line on te- when they were still in picture in picture. Yes. If I don't have a problem if you leave him in it for that many minutes, which is kind of weird that he doesn't tap, but the rope break should at least be on television. Yeah, it just the, the start of it and the rope break. Like, and the, there should have been an urgency from the commentators to say, "Oh my God, we we have to take this picture in picture. Keep your eyes on the screen. Keep your eyes on yeah, the screen. Sell he the moment. Tap out. There was none of that. No, it was just a typical. Hey, we're going picture in picture. Also, and it's going to come up later again. But I brought to bring this up. There was a disservice in that match with Tony Khan tweeting, "Oh, we're going to stay with this as long as as we can." It ended early. Early. So they had to buy extra time so that Punk could do his spot. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, eh, don't don't pre- don't offer up people something you are never going to deliver them. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to deliver extra time, like go over five minutes. Have TNT give you five extra minutes and actually go over. And even if it's just five minutes, it's it's like oh shit, the match didn't end until after ten. Yeah. So you didn't lie to us. It feels like you're being lied to, but we're going to revisit that in the main event portion. Yeah. But so that gives you kind of a little clue of what I'm talking about with TK and the inconvenient truth. Yeah. The only other thing that was a little puzzling that I'll just make a very quick statement about this. They announced FTR was going to be on the show and they came. But they were, Ken. Oh, I know. So it wasn't false advertising. They were on the show, <laughs> but, to, but to hear all the hype about it, they just came out to back up Wardlow. So obviously they're going to be setting up a match between Wardlow or we'll just call it, but honestly, it's the pinnacle. They're going to set up a match against the Jay Lethal faction, whatever it's called. Right. I'm already going to call it right now that whenever they decide to do the next Blood and Guts or Big Thing, I think it's going to be the fallout from from All Out. I think you're going to have CM Punk joining the Pinnacle, and they're going to be taking on the Blackpool Combat Club. Possibly. It'll be the four on four. I just I just want to point this out though. Uh, you think that there was a problem that they did a whole video package that they released to the press for the FTR to just do a backup spot? 
Like that can. I don't know. That's that's what you do in wrestling. It's oh. what you do in wrestling. I <laughs> Taylor two if there's nothing right now more telling of the tale between the two shows, and this is not saying one's better than the other. Right. So we never said that and we're not comparing them to be one's better and we're not right, gonna right, say right. that because that is subjective and up to you. I can say what is better for me and that. But the tale of two shows right here is you have on one end you're wasting time with packages that you are releasing and then you are not kind of cashing in on that. That's where Ken feels disgruntled and probably some other people. And on the other side, you have them very smartly slow rolling the return of somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like right now, pendulum swinging. Yeah. And that's where we keep warning you. That was part of the inconvenient truth last week. And that's going to be again this week. Cause uh, as wrestling fans, we should all, even if you don't like AEW or WWE or whoever, we should all be hoping that everybody's doing well because then we stay in the boom we're in. Exactly. Let's go over some real quick opinions on some news pieces. Uh, first up, let's let's shit on WWE and NXT real quick. Okay. Uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, while doing an interview with Bleacher Report, said the following quote, When it came to NXT 2.0 television, that's something myself and my team took over creatively. I know a lot of people thought Vince and Bruce were doing that. I can promise you they did not have the time to do NXT television. So Shawn Michaels is saying that the 2.0 rebranding was himself and his team and not Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard, and I call absolute utter bullshit. Yeah, that, that, that don't add up. 2.0 looks too much like the main roster that was ran by Vince and Bruce and Kevin Dunn to tell me that Shawn Michaels, who was working with Triple H and William Regal, said, oh, let's just gut all of this. Yeah, that's way too much of a flip. In my opinion, that just doesn't add up. I think he's just being the good soldier. Sure. You know, there's something to be in the good soldier. Yeah, and yeah, that is true, but there's just way too much similarities to how the main roster is shot compared to how NXT was done. Oh, absolutely. I'm agreeing with you. Wholeheartedly, yeah, 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 and 100%. Uh, let's talk about some. <laughs> I let's talk about. I don't know if this is good or bad news, but it's, it's NXT adjacent, right? Uh, but it doesn't uh, involve a former member of the NXT lineup who is now currently in all elite wrestling. Speaking to rewind, recap, relive, Bobby Fish commented on Triple H assuming his creative duties in world wrestling entertainment. Are you ready? No, let's do this. This is an exact quote Hunter is brilliant. The time I spent learning under him, brilliant, is the only description I can attribute to that man when it comes to pro wrestling. I'm happy to see things seem to be working out there in a more harmonious way. When I left, there was a lot of transition. It's never fun to see people that you've worked with and that you're friends with and you care about their success or their day-to-day, even uh, office people and medical staff. You make friends with these people over the years and you want to see them in a good work environment and enjoying themselves. We certainly all were at that time when we were there and Hunter was the head coach or quarterback or whatever you want to call it. Those things changed. Things got a bit wonky. I left after my release, so I can't speak firsthand, but to know that there is a chance now with Hunter back doing his thing that things could return or maybe become something entirely new or different, but under him. I can't see anything in the wrestling business that he has a hand in that's not going to be successful. I'm obviously biased and partial to the man, but I would go to war for him seven days a week. Your thoughts on that very poignant Bobby Fish statement. I mean, we knew that he was really thriving when they were the Undisputed Era, and he is very, very happy with Triple H. But you hear that from a lot of the wrestlers that went through the Triple H regime. A lot of them really have a lot of admiration for what he's done for their careers and the possibilities of what he's going to be doing now with the main roster. Sure, has the attention of a lot of people, and why wouldn't it? You take a look at what he did with NXT and what he's now done in two weeks of programming alone. There is a certain kind of buzz. Now, 
What does this mean for anybody in the future? I mean, they're just saying, listen, the grass is very green on that side. It's not saying our lawn is not any greener. It's just saying they're taking notice of what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's weird to me. Yeah. I, I just all, <laughs> I really just don't understand why that was a thing, but hey, it is, it is what it is. Uh, speaking about foot and mouth syndrome. Let's switch to AEW, Dustin Rhodes. Oh. Uh, first oh. of all, Dustin Rhodes last week uh, made a statement where he said, if your contract's up and you've had enough with hashtag AEW, go get the fuck out. I mean, on one hand, I understand that. And that's fine. But on the other hand, that's kind of like right now with hearing that there's some rumblings that people are unhappy, whether they are or not, we don't know. We're just saying rumblings. Why would you challenge people to have a bad morale at work when they're under contract? I don't. My take on this was he was trying to rally the troops, but it didn't come off that way. No, it came off like, hey, if you have an issue here, then go fuck yourself. And I think that there's a lot of people who have issues. And I'm not saying that there's perfect on WWE side. There's plenty of people there. But you don't hear one of their wrestlers who's one of their you know, locker room generals, if you will, one of their veterans going, hey, if you don't like it, get the fuck out. And this basically, if I was unhappy, if I'm a Jonathan Gresham, if you will, mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, they don't, not only does management not give a shit about me, but the legends and the guys we're supposed to, the vets we're supposed to look up to don't give a fuck about me neither. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think what he was trying to do is a rally cry and it just, it just missed the mark because, but he's somebody that's very passionate about the company. He really bleeds AEW. So I can understand his frustration, especially with how many people have been, you know, in the media and so forth and fans have been really vocal as of late. And once again, I'm not crucifying him for yeah. that one because I, I understand what he was going with. Yeah. But I could understand how somebody would take that. Oh, I negative. can completely understand how they take it wrong. It's just bad timing, but it's just sometimes when the emotions just pour out. Well, he was at Terrificon and he put his foot in his mouth. This is the real foot in the mouth moment. Uh, and I quote, I think we're going to go to two day events now for pay-per-views. I believe I've heard that down the pike. It'll be like a WrestleMania experience. You have two days of double or nothing or two days of all out or revolution. Listen, man, let's work on getting the numbers of the buy rates up on one night at $50 before we think people are going to pay a hundred dollars for two nights. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm sure they've probably had some internal discussion about it, but I think at the same time, they got to really take a look at their shows and maybe, Cut down on some of the matches on the cards because you know having a five-hour fest uh, from pre-show to end is, is a little much. I agree. Uh, speaking of which, the foot in the mouth part and what we're going to talk about in a second comes because Tony Khan was on Busted Open for his normal Wednesday on Busted Open, right? Uh, and he said, and I quote: "I saw a report that we, speaking of AEW, were talking about doing two-day pay-per-views, and I was like, who said that?" I looked and it was Dustin. I love Dustin so much and I was surprised that he said it because it's not something we seriously internally discussed. I like the wording there. So it does sound like Dustin Rhodes heard something or something that was possibly being tossed around, but it was in it was mostly in, oh, maybe that's a suggestion to look at. Not, oh, it's going to happen. Right. So I, I like that Tony actually, I'm giving him credit. Yeah, that was for a good answer to throw for him under the, the throw, throw the talent under the bus. But at the same time did say, hey, <laughs> not quite. I don't think he really understood what he was hearing if he heard that. I agree. Uh, Speaking of the last thing we need to talk about, and I know you're excited for this, uh, let's let's lump it into AEW real quick. Ric Flair's final match. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, it's like, no, I know we got to talk about it. I know. Listen, it's like it's like it's like herpes. It's not going away. Yeah. <laughs> you can take all the Valtrex you want, Ken. It's still here. Ah, oh, this this whole thing. All right, here we go. Yep. 
So first of all, let's talk about what AEW is involved in. Also, WWE. Ric Flair had put out a thank you tweet. Uh, it said, thank you at Tony Khan and at WWE. Noticeably, he did not thank Triple H. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a rift there legitimately or not. Uh, there has been rumors that Triple H was strongly against him wrestling again. As he should be. As everybody should be. And we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, here's what he put out there because he wrote this as a note because obviously it's too long for the 140 characters. Uh, sometimes the media chooses to focus on the less important things in a podcast, like my health issue during the match, which we'll talk about in a minute. I want to make it very clear that I thank Tony Khan for his wonderful text of support, WWE for their particip- participation and allowing Jeff to be part of the show. It just goes to show that both companies can come together and coexist when they believe in something. I thank you both for making it possible. Uh, firstly, that's a very nice tweet. Sure. I want to get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that his his heart is in the right place. Nothing on flair for this. I thought that he did a very nice thing. And trying to unify wrestling fans. I dig it. However, WWE participated... We know that they had people backstage. We found out that there was whether there's something between Trips and and Rick now. He still sent people to help. Yeah, obviously he allowed the Undertaker to be there. He allowed you know Mick Foley Mick to be Foley there. Was there. And once again, you got to remember they have Legends contracts, so he could have put the Kai Bosch on it. Same with Bret Hart. Yep. He allowed a lot of those guys to be there, and he even you know allowed Jeff Jarrett to wrestle. And I say he because he's had a. You know, they, yeah, he's, you could say Stephanie, whatever, but we, we, we're talking Triple H era, so we'll say he. Sure. And on the other end of it, though, you have Tony Khan, who sent out a tweet. <laughs> and I'm going, so does that make up for the million times we heard references to AEW from Tony Schiavone throughout the night? His one tweet? <laughs> uh, it just doesn't add up. I'm sorry, unless unless there was some kind of deal that we don't know about. And I don't, and I'm, I'm just speculating from what is presented here. But to, to equate how much WWE assisted with this whatever you want to call it. I can't even call it a show, and honestly. Well, let me rephrase it. I can call the pre-show and the undercard a great show. The main event, I want no contact with. WWE was very more heavily involved. So unless there was some AEW deal that we don't know about, to kind of say that those two uh, notes of uh, thank you are on the same level, they're not. I'm sorry. Like, one thank you tweet does not make up for having talent there. Yeah, it's, I agree. It just don't add up. So now let's jump into the mess that we're now hearing about all the stuff coming out. Yeah. So firstly, it has been reported by Ric Flair himself on his own fucking podcast that he passed out twice during his final Jesus match. Jesus fucking cool. Yeah. He says he blames it on drinking too much alcohol and not water, which makes me go, why was a drunk Ric Flair in the ring at his age wrestling? Yeah. Not safe for him, not safe for his opponents, but okay. Uh, they He then goes on to say that he wishes he didn't call it his last match. Because he still feels he has more in the tank. Stop. No. And also said after, because he had to bring it full circle, he did add that next time he would drink more water and not beer. And next time I ain't watching that because, seriously, that was a, one of the most abysmal train wrecks I think I've ever seen in my life of pro wrestling. I'm sorry. No. Everything about this is just bad. Bad top to bottom. Like, first off, you could definitely tell he was not in condition to go in that ring in the first place. He couldn't even do the strike. He couldn't even walk down the ring all right. So the fact that he even got in there and did the damn thing is is just a trouble to begin with. And passed out twice. And he passed out twice because we saw, especially I think the most notable time, was when he was face down and he couldn't even take the brass knucks from Andrade. Yeah. I mean, that speaks for itself. So at his age and in, in his health conditions, there's no way he should be in the ring doing what he did. None. 
And if anybody is thinking about rebooking that or trying to run it back, you know, seriously, fuck yourselves. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Like, no. Well, I can tell you who's trying to run it back. It's Ric Flair's pockets because oh, he needs money. Yeah. And it's also Conrad Thompson, his son-in-law, who is defending to the gills the fake heart attack spot and everything else. And I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, who dug that fucking spot? You, nobody dug that spot. We all thought he was dying. Exactly. We all thought it was real. Exactly. That was not – that's not a spot. You can't say that. That I'm sorry. No. I, I strongly disagree with this. You can tell by the emotions. These are my opinions about this. This match should never have happened. And if everybody's thinking about running it back, no, you should not. Let the man be in peace. Like, if you know, seriously, if you're that invested about having him in a ring, like, maybe get some investors around him to start a federation. Do something like that. Well, you know, they did They did hint that maybe Jim Crockett promotions coming back full-time under Conrad's dollar. Then put. Then fine. Then Rick can go work there. But him he can and, be. He can be the the figurehead. He can be the president. But to put a, to put his life in danger like that again, because seriously, that's what it would be. <sighs> that's a, that's atrocious. That that is so irresponsible of uh, whoever is booking this and making this happen. It is absolutely sickening. I agree with you. I agree with a hundred percent. Jeez. That is going to do that for the opening contest. Uh, we always want to hear from you. Make sure you hit us up on the social medias. Make sure you're checking out 3fmpodcast.com and odphpodcast.com. We are going to take a brief break. When we come back, it is going to be the mid-card of the show, and we are going to give you the update of New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax 32 as we are going to the finish line. And more. And then most importantly, we are going to give you a whole full-on review of the events that took place at Game Changer Wrestling's Homecoming. That's right, get that bass, Ken M. Get that bass. Woo! Play it, brother. Break it down. Ah, yeah! Welcome back to the mid-card of this week's edition of 607 Podcast Presents the Wrestling Show, better known as hashtag 607TWS. And uh, you know what, Ken M? We've had an interesting weekend. We've had a good damn weekend as far as wrestling is concerned. Mm -hmm. And I know you cannot wait to talk about Game Changer Wrestling. What a weekend it was. Yes, it has been. But before we talk about Game Changer Wrestling, there's a piece of business we need to take care of. And it's... The G1... Climax 32 update for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And of course, if you would like to check out any of New Japan Pro Wrestling, including the G1 Climax, you can do that over at N. 
jpwworld.com for 999 yen. Don't worry about the price. It is actually about $9 American. But man, we've had a tight one in and we're running to the finish line. Ken M. We are running to the finish line. I know it's it's it just seems like yesterday was announced and yet here we are. Here we are. We're back in the saddle again. In the saddle again, Ken M. Are you ready? To I, talk the update. I am always ready to talk New Japan. Always ready? Are you always ready like Matt Cardona? I hope to be a little better than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start it up and pick off where we left off. Night 14th, which went down on August 9th from the Hiroshima Sun Plaza in Nishuku, Hiroshima, Japan. Uh, in a D-block singles match, we had Yujiro Takahashi defeat Yoshihashi. In a B-block match, we had Sonata defeat Chase Owens. In a B-block match, we had the good bad guy Tama Tonga defeat Tai Chi. In an A-block match, the murder hawk monster Lance Archer gets the victory over Jonah. And in the main event, a C-block match where Tetsuya Naito defeated Kenta. Let's move on to night 15th, taking place on August 10th, also from Hiroshima. And we had a D-block match where El Phantasmo defeated David Finley. Let's go. Look at that. Last place beat first place. About time. B-block match between where Tamatanga defeated the Great Ocon. A little win streak back-to-back nights for Tamatanga. Mm-hmm. In a C-block match, Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Evil. Ooh. In an A-block match, the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada defeated Filthy Tom Lawler. And in a C-block main event, Hiroki Goto defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi the Ace. Oh, wow. Yes. Next up, we had August or on August 13th, night 16th. This was coming from the Machida Municipal Gymnasium in Machida, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, we had a C-block match where Kenta defeated Aaron Henry. An A-block match where Jeff Cobb defeated Toriyanu. By the way, very squash match. Yeah, I would imagine. A D-block match where the Dragon Shingo Tagagi defeated Yujiro Takahashi. A D-block match where the Billy Goat finally gets back in the win column as Will Ospreay defeated Yoshihashi. About time. And in the main event of the evening, a B-block match, your IWGP World's Heavyweight Champion Switchblade Jay White defeated Tai Chi. And then just going down on the same day that we record, ladies and gentlemen, uh, August, uh, we're recording the show, August mm-hmm. 14th. The night 17th from White Ring and Nagano, Nagano, Japan. <laughs> yes, it's in the city of Nagano in the province of Nagano in Japan. We had in a D-block match, David Finley gets back on the winning ways as he defeated Yoshihashi. In a B-block match, Great Okan defeated Tai Chi. In an A-block match, Filthy Tom Lawler with an upset over Jeff Cobb. Oh. And in the main event of the evening in a C-block match, Kenta defeated the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. Pretty good, huh? I was going to say, very, very interesting lineup there. Uh, surprised a couple little wins. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. So before we get into what's going on, because we're in the home set, there's only one more night around, Robin, and then we're in the finals. I will discuss that. So next week, we will have the winner of this tournament. So let's go over the standings as they stand currently. Are you ready, Ken M? Yeah, let's do it. And by the way, I will tell you the people who are mathematically eliminated from said tournament. Okay. Because we have mathematically eliminated people already. So, in A block, uh, in last place and mathematically eliminated, Torianu with two points. No real surprise there. In uh, third place, also with 
a mathematical elimination. Bad luck foul A with four points. In second place, both with six points, but are mathematically eliminated because of tiebreakers. Jeff Cobb and Filthy Tom Waller. That breaks my heart right there. And that means in second place and still in the running, both with six points, we have Lance Archer and Jonah. And in first place with eight points, Kazuchika Okada. You got to favor Okada in this, but I wouldn't doubt maybe an upset. All right. And B block, I'm going to put it this way to you. Everybody but the two people who tied for first place has been eliminated. Okay. So in last place and mathematically eliminated, mind you, these guys, people still play spoilers if they have matches left. Mm-hmm. Tamahiro Ishii with two points. And then tied for third place, all with four points. Great Okan, Chase Owens, and Tai Chi. Okay. And then in second place, in sole possession of second place, with six points, Sonata. Okay. The two tied for first place, one with eight points, and one with ten, but because of mathematics, it's still technically tied first place. Mm. The good bad guy, Tamatanga, and the IWGP World's Heavyweight Champion, the Switchblade, Jay White. Man. Next up, we have Block C. Mm-hmm. In last place, with four points and mathematically eliminated, Aaron Henry. In third place, with four points and mathematically eliminated, Evil. Now we have two people in second place that are eliminated and two that are not. So the two people who are eliminated mathematically in second place, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kenta, both with six points. Also with six points, but not eliminated yet. Still in the running, still alive, Hiroki Goto and Tetsuya Naito. Okay. And in first place, with eight points, Zack Sabre Jr. Hmm. And that brings us to D-Block. And nobody in D-Block is mathematically eliminated. This is so wild. I, I When we heard the standings originally when they were announced about who was going to be in what block, I didn't see it going this way. Right. Nobody here is mathematically eliminated yet. In last place, uh, well, technically second place, because last place here is second place, tied with four points each, El Fantasmo and Rock Hard, Juice Robinson. And then all tied with six points apiece in first place, Yoshihashi, Will Osprey, Shingo Tagagi, David Finley, and Yujiro Takahashi. I like the Billy Goat there, but man, that's a. I, I like I said, I can't stress this enough. Did not see this block going this way. All right, so that leads us to the last night of round robin, and we have eight. Count them eight block matches. Okay. On the last night of blocks. All right, you ready? And that will be taking place on August sixteenth from Nippon Budokan in Shihodo, Tokyo, Japan. Okay. First up in an A block match, we have the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Taking on the Murder Hawk monster, Lance Archer. Mm. If Okada wins, I think he shows up. Yeah, he locks that up. In an other A block match, we have Bad Luck Fale possibly playing spoiler as he goes up against Jonah. That's going to be a fun match. So if Jonah loses, he's done. Yeah. If by chance, if, if Archer beats Okada, then Jonah and Archer would have to have a runoff. Hmm. Ah. Hmm. Next up in the B block match, for two people who are both eliminated, Sonata and Tamahiro Ishii are facing each other, but both of them are already mathematically eliminated. But in the B block match, you better as well call this the B block match finals, because in the next match, B block representatives, Tamatanga taking on the Switchblade Jay White, winner wins B block. Oh, man. Can you imagine if Tama wins? Speaking of somebody who can play spoiler, Evil is in a C-block match against Hiroki Goto. Evil is eliminated. If he defeats Goto, that eliminates Goto. 
Hmm, very, very high stakes. And in the C block final, it could be the final, because technically there's some mixing up here. Tetsuya Naito goes against Zack Sabre Jr. Sabre Jr. wins, he wins C block. If Sabre Jr. loses, that could send us to a runoff between, and, and Goto wins, it could send us to a runoff between Goto and Naito. Or if Evil wins, Naito wins C block. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know who to call in that one. Then we have Indie Block. And mind you, everything's on the line here. Mm. So Shingo Tagagi will go up against El Phantasmo. If Phantasmo wins, then Phantasmo doesn't necessarily win. He would need help. Okay. But he's still in. If Shingo wins, he could win. However, Juice Robinson takes on Will Ospreay also. So put it this way. If Shingo beats Phantasmo and Robinson beats Osprey, Shingo Tagagi wins D-Block. Okay. If El Phantasmo defeats Shingo and Will Osprey defeats Juice Robinson, Will Osprey wins D-Block. I think that's how the, that's my prediction for this one. In a really twist of fate, if neither man wins, there would be a runoff between David Finley and Yujiro Takahashi for first place in the winner of D-Block. Wow. So basically, Juice Robinson, and they're not technically eliminated because they could do a four-way even. I don't know how they would decide tiebreakers. Yeah, I mean, that's because... So there's a way, actually, that D-Block could be decided about nobody in these these two matches. Yeah, and I mean, and to your recollection, because I know you watch new, more New Japan than I do, has that ever happened before? No, not that deep of a runoff. Yeah, I was going to say that... That's that's uncharted territory right now. Now with Shingo and and Osprey, if they win, they would be if they both win, they're in a runoff. Okay. That is a runoff because both of them would have eight points at that point juncture. They'd be the only two with eight points. That's why if one of them wins and the other one loses, they automatically win D block. But if both of them win, they'd have to do a runoff. Hmm. So however we have to do the runoffs, because it could happen the same night and it would probably happen on the nineteenth. And that means that person would have to wrestle twice. Yeah. Which is a any if there's so if there's any runoffs it will happen on night 19, and that is on August 17th also in Nippon Budokan in Chiyoda Tokyo Japan. We will have the semifinal matches both it'll be now mind you because of records we don't know it'll it'll be one of the blocks versus the other block mm-hmm. so it'll be either like A block versus B block and C block versus D block or it could be A versus D C versus B it depends on records okay they set them up like kind of like a normal play system so whatever was the top whoever had the best record with tiebreakers will go up against whoever had the worst record we'll have the lowest and then the second and third place okay. so we won't know until then Okay. And then last but certainly not least, on August 18th, the final night of the tournament, also in Nippon Budokan in Chiyoda, Tokyo, Japan, we will have whoever wins those semifinals matches go against each other, and they will be crowned the G1 Climax 32 champion and receive the title shot of their choosing on the first night of Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th, 2023. Any early predictions? Uh, whew. Well, <laughs> it's a tough one. I think... Uh, just going off the top of my head, I think that Kazuchika Okada is going to win A block. Mm-hmm. I think that Jay White is going to win B block, although I could see them having Tama Tonga win. It would be a good storyline. Yeah. Zack Sabre Jr. is my pick to win C block. Mm-hmm. In D block, I think Will Osprey wins. I think, I don't know what there would go from there, but I think the finals could very well be Will Osprey versus Kazuchika Okada. 
Man, can you imagine? And I think Will Osprey wins the G1 Climax 32. I'm taking Will as my pick too. I just I think he's it's it, it's his time. I mean, he's clicking on on all cylinders. And what can you say about everybody? Like this is a so, such a solid field. Like it's not like a, a surefire. Oh pick. no, I can see any of them winning. Naito yeah. could win. Okada could win. Jay White could be the first champion to win in a long time, which means he gets to pick his opponent. Yeah. On January fourth, which so that's that's a good news for him because he could pick one of the lackeys of the Bullet Club. That would be something. I mean, you think about like somebody you just say you take a dive and and how how crazy would that be storyline wise? I know it wouldn't happen, but it could happen. I mean, it could it could. I mean, like I say, just just that reaction. But like I said, Osprey's clicking so much right now. It's I I just think it's going to be him no matter what. I think you could be right. I think you could be right, and I, I I would be surprised. But then again, I wouldn't be too surprised because let's be honest, anything could happen. Oh, absolutely. In New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know where else anything could happen, Ken M, and anything does happen? Oh, I have an idea. Game Changer Wrestling. Hell yes. It is now time to talk about Game Changer Wrestling. And before we get started, Mm -hmm. I know some people don't like Game Changer Wrestling. I know some people think it's an outlaw mud show. Mm -hmm. Some people think it's trash wrestling. I saw garbage can wrestling as the GCW thing from some people online. Here's the problem. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to listen. You don't have to. But at least give the product a try. Right. Don't just look at like a GIF that's put up on the internet of one moment from a match and go, oh man, that's trash. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. If you are a member of the Cult of Cornet, I get it. You don't like it. If you are a member of the AEW Kool-Aid Drinkers who only loves AEW, I get it. You don't like it. If you're a WWE drone, I get it. You don't like it. We know. We know. But there's no reason to trash it because don't watch it. And you're not watching it probably. No, you're not. I don't see you buying it on Fight TV just to trash it. And if you are, think, you know who really wins? Brett Lauderdale. Exactly. Thanks <laughs> so, for the click. Th- thanks for the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it costs money to, to watch. So the, at the end of the day, I, the hate that you see for an independent wrestling company that shouldn't even have any pause on anything else. It's not a threat to all elite wrestling. It's not a threat to world wrestling entertainment. But for some reason, there is a section of fans from both, mostly from AEW, because WWE drones, they don't give a fuck about the indies. Mm -hmm. They'll talk shit about AEW, which is not an indie. Right. I'm not saying it's right, but they will. But the the indies are beneath them, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, if they see something, they might shit on it. But the AEW faithful, who shit on indie wrestling is weird to me. It's not a threat to you. It's not a threat to Tony Khan. It's not a threat to whatever you got going on. And the Cult of Cornette members are just miserable pricks who can't get laid. Right. And I don't mind saying that. I know that's a big draw. Oh, you say don't be toxic. That has nothing to do with being toxic. Have you seen what they say on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot that's gone on in the past 48 hours that, yeah, you would not be giving them a pass about a lot of things. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird because for some reason, Cornette portrays himself as some kind of left-wing kind of guy, as he's always stripping shitting on Trumpers in the right wing, but he's the most misogynistic, racist person you'd ever meet. It's such a bizarre thing watching that fan base, like, Get get on social and start going at stuff. It's weird because you see Jim Cornette shit on Kane for being far right, and it's like, dude, how are you fucking progressive when you're a homophobic, sociopathic, fucking racist? You, you name the phobia, Jim Cornette has it, and you can't say he doesn't. He got in trouble and kicked off a TV for racist comments. He says shit like this on his podcast to a bunch of fucking white dudes that live in their parents' basement who have no lives. And if you're one of them, you know who you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, did you guys wish the good old glory days were back when the women didn't get to wrestle and they just showed their boobies? Like, come on, guys. 
Like, so I can be, t- I'll be toxic to call, to call to court at people, not in public or on there, but on my own platform. Yeah. Cause fuck those guys. Cause what wrestling do you really like? Huh? What wrestling? Name it. Cause you shit on WWE, you shit on AEW, you shit on outlaw mud shows. You can't like the NWA because they format themselves like an indie company. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> you can't like Impact Wrestling because that's the same. You start watching old wrestling. Yeah, you just keep jerking off to the old Memphis tapes and smoking my wrestling, baby, mm. when wrestling was grail. Newsflash, it's always been a work, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always been sports entertainment, baby. Mm-hmm. The house is light, brother. <laughs> <sighs> See, there's my rant for the day. But that, the call to Cornette people need to just go away. Well, yeah, like we say, and obviously we'll get into it when we start talking the segment. They oh, were absolutely. out, they they were were out, out in, force. in force this weekend. They were out in force. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Let's start off with the first night of GCW Homecoming from the Carousel Room at the Showbo in Atlantic City, New Jersey. This took place on Friday night, or sorry, Saturday night. I messed up. Saturday night Mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we had a dark match between the High Priestess of the Church of Wrestling, the Dark Sheik, where she defeated Bradley Prescott the Fourth. Not much about that. I was not there in person, so I'm not going to say about greater or bad the match was. So let's talk about the matches that we can say. Mm Mm-hmm. The opening contest of GCW Homecoming Night 1. All Elite Nick Wayne defeats Starboard Charlie. 10 minutes and 29 seconds. The future of pro wrestling was focused and showcased in this ring. And I, as I put out on Twitter, the future is bright AF. Ken, what did you think about the opening contest at GCW Homecoming Night 1? Absolutely perfect way to start the show. High energy. And like you touched upon, the youth of GCW is the future of the business. And they have such a, a talented roster that's now just really coming into their own and seeing Wayne and, and Charlie really step it up. Like it's a great they, match. They, they tried stealing the show from the opening bell. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Next matchup, we showcased another young talent in the wrestling business as Big Breakfast, the East Coast Ace, the Cloud Cutter, Jordan Oliver defeated the returning mm-hmm. Ninja Kamikaze Mac Fresh back from pro wrestling noah where he's tearing up in japan 14 minutes and 23 seconds this match had a little bit of something you like high flying you like fast pace you like technical wrestling it had a little bit of something for everybody at the end of the day jordan oliver gets the win what were your thoughts on this match can M? it was i was thinking how are they going to top the opening bout and man this is right up there with it such a diverse clash of styles but jordan oliver if you're not familiar with now i i really don't know what you're watching he is going to be a big star sooner than later, and if he's not around that title picture, I don't know what they're doing in GCW. I'm going to be honest with you. The first half of the show is all wrestling matches, and it was like, how do they are they going to up the, the previous one? And they did, mm-hmm. and they did, and they did. And then the second half of the show is all about violence, so we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, next up was the vintage classic GCW six-way scramble match. Our good friend, the base guy, Gringo Loco, comes out on top as he defeated Axton Ray, the Grim Reefer, uh, the different kind of boy, Jimmy Lloyd, Joe Lando making his GCW debut, and of course, last but certainly not least, the young prodigy, Marcus Mathers, 9 minutes and 48 seconds, and man, this was fast-paced, this was exciting for me. Between Gringo Loco, who's been getting his flowers, which is amazing, mm. Axton Ray, who since he's been in GCW has been solid as fuck. Yeah. He's a big dude that can do a lot of great crazy things. But you know who impressed me the most? Coming in for his first night in GCW, Joe Lando from the UK. Joe Lando doing that shooting star press to the outside was impressive. How about Joe Lando doing the shooting star press elbow drop on one ankle because, unfortunately, Joe Lando injured his ankle during this match and had to be pulled from the next night. Hopefully he gets well soon. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely impressed by him. 
And I really thought this match, GCW does scrambles better than everybody. Absolutely. So this was a staple, and you knew they were going out with this one. Next up, we had a singles match where the last two people to get shots at the GCW World Heavyweight Championship faced off against each other. At the end of the day, All Heart, a.k.a. the best in the world, Blake Christian defeated 607 TWS's favorite asshole, Tony Deppen. That match got 23 minutes and 51 seconds. It was an amazing match. We saw a little bit of everything in this match, a little bit of entertaining, some technical, some flying. Who wrestles better than Tony Deppen and Blake Christian in the year 2022? The answer to that is a very smallest. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, these two guys are both in their mid-20s, and they're both very good. How did you feel about this match? This is my new fight forever. I need to see this happen more often. Absolutely great technical match. They definitely were telling a story, so I was very happy to see this match. Like This is one that I thought could have been a match of the night. However, though, the drama after... Well, that, I'm glad you brought that up. After the match and Blake Christian won, he grabbed the microphone to make a statement to which the crowd gave him a thunderous level of booze that we've never heard them give Blake right. Christian before. Wouldn't even let him speak. He still tried to speak over him. Kind of basically was trying to give a going away speech because as we now know, and it has been confirmed by Fightful and, and everybody else, but Fightful confirmed it first, Blake Christian has signed one of those new hybrid AEW slash Ring of Honor deals. Mm -hmm. We do not know if it's the full-time deal or the tiered option. We have zero clue all we know is he was giving some kind of i'm not leaving forever but i won't be at as many shows kind of speech and the crowd even before he got there was booing him out of the building i'm assuming they have perceived him as a sellout at this point in juncture uh, there is some issues and and i said to you tonight I'm, i can't speak for everybody yeah I, I can only speak from what i see and what i can gather and it's not like everybody's on the same page but i really think that there's a portion of the gcw audience who looks at AEW the same way ECW fans used to look at WCW. You keep taking from us. You keep taking our guys. You don't use them well, and then we don't get to see them. And I understand. I, 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 can, I can see it, and I agree with it, and I can see it, and I don't agree with it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's a great opportunity for Blake Christian, and I'm so happy for him. He deserves these opportunities. However, as a GCW fan, a selfish fan that loves GCW, I would like to see more of Blake Christian. So if this is the, the case, which I very well think it is, especially because we're going to get to night two and kind of the same thing, I really think that that is what's going on here. A couple quick thoughts. Okay. One, I do agree with you. I think that it's the GCW faithful that is seeing one of their, I don't want to say homegrown talents, but let's face it. Since Blake was released by WWE, he has been in an in, independent staple. Well, I was going to say this. I, I won't throw this out. I would say homegrown talents because he was making the name for himself in Game Changer Wrestling before Game Changer Wrestling okay. blew up and before he went to the It was him versus Leo Rush that a lot of people believe got him signed for NXT. So I, I really do think that uh, he is a homegrown talent, and I would call him that. Okay. So and he returned home after WWE. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know since he's been back, since that's when I really caught him. I missed some of the early GCW days since I started watching. I think it's one of those senses that GCW fans are very sad to see him go. And much like you touched upon, the ECW versus WCW feud has been reincarnated with GCW and AEW. I think that that is a very, very accurate statement. I think that it's getting looked at as AEW's fans are looking at GCW thinking that's what they should be with the buzz and the hype and the and the and that kind of energy. And they're attacking it because. And they're attacking it because they don't have it. It's a different and, and this isn't a shot against AEW. But AEW is a lot different vibe than GCW. GCW is so DIY, punk rock, built, you know, just absolutely homegrown from the fan base to the product to the wrestlers. Like, it's just so much of a unique experience. 
where AEW is more corporate. It's like when your favorite indie band gets signed to a major label. Right. That's exactly how you can define it. And I think that, like you touched upon, AEW has been kind of dipping into the GCW pool a little bit. I mean, here and there, we've saw Nick Gage has appeared on Dynamite. We've also seen a lot of the AEW talent go through Ring of Honor in various stages. So I think now it's time that GCW is saying, hey, like, listen, we're the number three company in, in the world, you know, in the U.S., I should say, not kind of New Japan. But if, you know, and obviously AEW taking our talent away, that's going to sting a bit. Mm-hmm. But it, but for as for Blake goes, listen, it's financial stability, so the more power to him. Right. I can see, like I said, I can see it both ways. And yeah. I think there's a lot of, even on top of that, I think there's a lot of irritation with the perceivedness of John Moxley, the world champion. Mm-hmm becomes AEW world champion because CM Punk gets injured. There's no plans for that. And I think a lot of people, myself included, have been I've started to think that the reason he's not losing that title, which a lot of people want the belt off him to have a full-time champion, not because we don't like Moxley. Moxley gets cheered. Everybody loves Moxley. Moxley came out of CZW. GCW is the next branch of that. Mm-hmm. Everybody there loves that history. So that's why Moxley even says he feels at home at GCW. For those people, and we'll talk about it later more about him because yeah. there's some controversy there in the main event. But – there's a reason why that happens, and that's why. And it's not that the fans don't love Mox. It's just that I think they want a full-time champion. Yeah. And I, I think the perceivedness is because he's AEW world champion, he's not allowed to lose the GCW title. And right now we're kind of sitting around going, well, it, Deppin had this great match against him. Blake had a great match against him. But Blake, with him signing, probably is the reason why he didn't. Then Effie, and we'll talk about that later. And it's like, hey, how many more guys can he beat before one of our guys gets the fucking belt back? Mm. And we'll talk about that later because there's obviously an answer to that question. Yes. <laughs> uh, but bef- now let's get into the violence, shall we? Oh, yes. Let's start off with the Game Changer Wrestling World Tag Team Titles. And they did list it as a death match on Cage Match, but it wasn't really a death match. It was more hardcore, but there was some glass and light tubes involved and some big news coming out of it because going into the match, we had Los Macisos, Ciclope, and Miedo Extremo defending their titles against the Briscoes, Jay and Mark. And at the end of the day, this match got 14 minutes and 25 seconds. And new Game Changer Wrestling World Tag Team Champions, the Briscoes, there's a little controversy, though, because the referee started counting. Well, Jay Briscoe's shoulders weren't on the mat. Yeah. They counted the three. We got the new champions. Referee's decision's final. Sure. But after the match, SGC, the second gear crew, Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, they hit the ring, and they say, hey, listen, motherfuckers, we want a shot at those belts because we're former champions. We've been winning matches. We deserve that. The most Macisa said, hey, 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 compadres, hmm. take your back seat. We just lost these belts. We want a rematch. Hmm. Hey, Jay Briscoe, never wanted to mince words, says, hey, hey, we don't care if you get the shot. We don't care if you get the shot. We don't care if both of you get the shot. Hell, I'll tell you what. We'll figure this out. September the 3rd, Art of War Games. War Games, motherfuckers. So all of a sudden, and I got a confirmation that night from... OG Kevin Gill, mm-hmm. commentator, that yes, we are going to have War Games Tag Team Title Edition. The tag team titles will be on the line in War Games, separate teams, not two big teams, multiple teams. And we have more news about that on night two. But how did you feel about the match and the announcement of Tag Team GCW World Tag Team Championship? Sorry, War Games. Match was crazy. It was hard-hitting as, as we knew it was going to be. Surprised that they pulled the switch with the belts since Macisos just got the belts. But listen, anytime you give me war games, 
I will take war games any chance I can get. And let alone you're going to do tag team war games. This is something very ingenious that we have never seen before. Like, sure, we've had a couple five-on-fives and all that jazz, but let's face it. Have you seen the stakes this high for a tag team title? Yeah, and there's more news on that mm-hmm. when we get to day two. But let's move on with night one, because next up we have the Game Changer Wrestling Extreme title on the line in a fucking death match as the king of wreck shit mountain, Cole Raderick. Took on Charlie Evans returning to GCW. This match got 12 minutes and 21 seconds. And unfortunately, that son of a bitch Charles Mason got involved. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and still, your GCW Extreme champion, Cole Radrick. We love the ratty daddy, mm-hmm. but we hate that son of a bitch Charles Mason. Yeah, if Charles Mason was involved, this would been a great match. But nevertheless, uh, solid. it was a solid match. Not my favorite match of the night, but it's nothing against uh, Cole or Charlie. It was just... I think coming off the what we had previously in the card, like this was a very good match, not to take anything away from it, just didn't really click for me. I agree with you. This was not, you know, we had banger after banger. We had this big tag team match. Then you had all this energy released from war games being announced and people going, how the fuck is this going to work? But this is amazing at the same time mm-hmm. to going, okay, this match was good. You had a little too much with Charles Mason. Of course, Charles Mason later in the night, we'll talk about that later, would take on Charlie Evans for Jersey Championship Wrestling. But before we get there, we had a dream death match. This has happened before, but it's been a little while. As the Duke of Hardcore, John Wayne Murdoch, defeated the bulldozer, Matt Tremont, in 11 minutes and 37 seconds. This match was bloody as fuck. This match would have probably been the bloodiest match of the night if it wasn't for the next match. Mm-hmm. And... This match told a hell of a story as the villain, John Wayne Murdoch, gets over on the bulldozer and the loved hometown hero, the bulldozer, Matt Tremont, of course, say his name because it ain't John Wayne pussy. It's John Wayne Murdoch. Thoughts on this match, Ken M? What a perfectly violent story they told. This was really good storytelling. And you know what? If this had no weapons involved, it still would have been great. But the fact that you had these two deathmatch legends, and let's face it, John Wayne Murdoch is there. Matt Tremont's record speaks for himself. He's an icon. Yeah. See, and especially when he came down the ring, in which that was what, the longest pitchfork he had in his mouth there? Oh, oh yeah. Like, I, I've never seen one that big. That uh, Then to watch him pry a gusset plate off of the head of John Wayne Murdoch with said pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they, they completely went, went all for it. So, like, this was a perfect match for me. I, I was really in tune to it. Like, I'm not the world's biggest deathmatch guy, but I do respect the hell out of Tremont. What he does and John Wayne Murdoch is always great. I'll always say it. I'm not huge into deathmatches. I will watch them as long as there's a story and there's a point to it. Mm-hmm. Game Changer Wrestling does a great job with this. It's not violence for the sake of violence. There's a story to be told. This match was a great wrestling match with a bunch of weapons. Yes. The following match... The only reason this isn't the death match of the night is because of the following match. And the following oh. match, if I showed this to any death match wrestling, or even if you don't like death, if death match wrestling fans are going nuts about this, yes. you know this. Uh-huh. But if you don't even watch death matches, you watch this, you could be like, okay, maybe I don't like the violence and the blood, but this is wrestling. This is not hokey because the next match was a fucking death match for the Game Changer Wrestling Ultra Violent Championship. Your champion, Mr. 3P himself, the blood fighter, Alex Colon, defending the title against Rima Yashimi, Yashimita. I think that's how it was pronounced. I've always said Yamashita. We were corrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, if I still said it wrong, I apologize. I have to get with her on it completely. But Yamashita is, uh, I think, how it was pronounced by Dave yeah. Prezak. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this match had 21 minutes and six seconds. It told a beautiful story. It was bloody as hell. It was violent as hell. But there was still some great technical wrestling. And this match ended via submission. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, it ended via the person submission who was tapping out. And at the end of the day, your winner and new Game Changer Wrestling Ultra Violent Champion, Rina Yamasha, she defeated Gauss Cologne, and I just sat there, looked across at Crazy Curtis, and went, our mouths are agaped in a hotel room because we're out of town for vacation, and we're just like, yeah. <laughs> Did that just happen? It was great. It was beautiful, though. It was a beautiful match. The crowd, it was one of the loud, loud, loudest pops I've ever heard in the carousel room or in wrestling period. I literally dropped my phone because I did the same thing. This match was epic. Rena putting Alex's submission on him and making him tap. I was speechless. And then I completely started marking out. Like, I did not see this coming, but I'm so happy about this. And it was such a fantastic match, and especially going on Twitter. And everybody was losing their minds in the right reasons because they kept saying, great match and new, great match and new. I can't find anybody other than, obviously, the uh, Cult of Cornet haters that just did not fall in love with this match. Absolutely. That means there's only one match left, and it was the main event of the evening for the Game Changer Wrestling World's Heavyweight Championship. Your champion, John Moxley, defending the title against Daddy himself, Effie. This match got 18 minutes and 20 seconds at the end of the day, and still the Game Changer Wrestling World's Heavyweight Champion, John Moxley. This match had a little bit of something for everybody. Mm-hmm. If you did not like this match, I don't think you like fun. Yeah. I mean, there was a kiss off. Instead of uh, trading the forearm blows or a spirit test, yeah. we had kiss on the cheek off. We had uh, we saw Moxley smoke a cigarette while delivering elbows and then putting said cigarette out on Effie. We got to see the, the, the Effie is daddy door. Uh, we got to see, you know, in the closing moments of this match, John Moxley makes out with Effie right before he hits him. We're the paradigm shift for the win, two, three, and the win. I really thought this match was super fun. I've seen this match gift up. We're going to get into that more uh, after your thoughts, but I've seen this match gift up and people being unfair to it. But before we get there, Ken M, how did you feel about the main event of the evening? I was sad at the ending. Because I thought this was Effie's time. Me too. And that was the only negative thing I will say about this. I've been very fortunate to watch Effie wrestle since I've been watching GCW. I know what kind of style Effie wrestles. Effie is great. And seeing how that matched up with Moxley, who, let's face it, came down to the ring in almost like a Nick Gage entrance. Everybody swarmed him. And Moxley seemed... I want like He's at home with it. That's the thing. He is very comfortable with the GCW crowd more so than I would say he is going to the ring through the stands at AEW. I would say that. Like you can just tell there's a difference. And just seeing him get in the ring and especially see him break character if you will, like he actually was buying into how Effie does wrestling. And it was great it was a great thing to see because the one thing I think we're, we've always said about John Moxley is he wrestles the same match with everybody. He really stepped up and really took Effie on at Effie's game. I agree. And you know what? They told a great story. And if you didn't like it, you don't like how Effie does wrestling, and that's on you. Me, I thought it was great. 
I agree. Uh, there's some haters out there. Obviously, saw some of the things. I heard somebody say that how how is John Moxley a role model smoking a cigarette in the ring? First of all, I don't think John Moxley's trying to be a role model. Uh-huh. He's trying to be a professional wrestler. And let's be honest, Game Changer Wrestling is an adult-oriented show. Yes, this is not a show on TV that's rated PG or even TV 14. This is a rated R show. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just saw three matches prior to this with people bleeding buckets. Yeah. You know, and using anything from gusset plates to glass panes to uh, light, tubes. light tubes and more. You know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, oh my. my. But I, so there's that first thing. So I don't get that. I don't get the people who took the spot of, you know, Moxley's choking him out and Effie puts his hands in his trunks, like his own trunk. Yeah. Like he's getting off on it. Once again, it's an adult show, folks. Yeah. Effie is for the adults. Moxley is on an adult show. They did something entertaining for adults. If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't watch it. Exactly. But don't comment on things when you just see a gift because you don't know what the whole match is. You don't know what the build to that was. You don't know where you're at. For those people who thought that John Moxley, uh, pulling into words of I saw the multi-millionaire company AEW and there's no security and the fans are all around him and swarming him, John Moxley enjoys that. Mm-hmm. And he has reiterated that time and time again to Brett Lauderdale and everybody else. He's the guy who on his wife's podcast said that he prefers wrestling for places like GCW and Defy to anything else. He likes the small independent roles. He also was the guy that said that him choking out filthy Tom Lawler in front of 700 people was more of a rush than wrestling in front of 70,000 people at WrestleMania. Yeah. Think about that for a minute before you go, Oh, let's jump in there for John Moxley. No, John Moxley is very happy with what he's doing. Leave the man alone. He drinks NA beer Mm -hmm. because he still wants to have the taste of beer without the alcohol and he's sponsored. And that's fine. As long as he is staying on the wagon, none of us have anything to do. And that's his personal life. And nobody there is forcing him to do anything. He wants to do these things. So let the man fucking be exactly. And if you have judgment, and you didn't watch the show and you don't watch the product so you don't know the build, I suggest that you leave your 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 assumptions to yourself because there's one thing to have an opinion about a match that you watched. There's one thing to have an opinion about something that you know about. When you have an opinion about something you absolutely don't know about, you're judging it from a gif or where fucking Frank down the street says, that's a whole nother ball game. That's a whole nother ball of wax. Mm-hmm. I have never given an opinion on something I've never seen. Exactly. Proof of which, go back to last week. When I didn't when I was out of town and I did not watch Battle for the Belts, Ken M talks about Battle of the Belts, and I said, Man, I heard that I was lucky I skipped on it. That's it. Yeah. And Ken M said, Yeah, you didn't miss much. Frog splash. That's it. But I didn't I didn't turn around and say, Oh, this match was good or that match was bad or whatever. I just let Ken talk and said, Hey, I'm glad you feel that way. I trust your opinion. Mm-hmm. Enough said. And, and that's the thing. If you don't watch the product, you don't have a a, a valid argument. I'm sorry. You don't. Because if you're just tuning in because Moxley wrestled there and you're an AEW Kool-Aid drinker, you don't understand how GCW works. You don't. I'm sorry. That's like the same thing when we when Nick Gage went on to AEW and he had the death match in there and you know the GCW fans came in and they didn't and they weren't exactly too impressed. Some I knew some that were not impressed with AEW Dynamite. But you know what? They don't watch. So it's like it's, it's the fine. same thing. It's, it's the not same for thing. you, it's not for you. Exactly. Cool stuff. Let's move on, though. Afterwards, after Game Changer Wrestling had the first night of homecoming, they had Jersey Championship Wrestling Ooh, live you for- on... You forgot one thing. Oh, yes. Sorry. Thank you for bringing me back. Yes. Listen, listen. This is why we do this live here, my guy. Listen. After the match, uh, first of all, I will say this. Moxley thanked 
uh, Effie for the match. Mm-hmm. Said he loved Effie and everything. But then he said, hey, listen, I'm here in Game Changer Wrestler. I love Game Changer Wrestling. I love coming here. That's why I come here. But you need to get me some competition. Mm-hmm. I don't have any competition. I need some damn competition. Where's the competition at? Bring me competition. And with that, for whom the bell tolls hits, it out comes the man, the king, the, the god, god of, of this, this fucking shit. shit. Nick fucking Gage. And Nick Gage had some uh, words to talk to John Moxley. Be, he's real with the people. As he says, I love you motherfuckers. I'm always real with you. He said, hey, this was the hardest year of my life. Not my career, my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I love doing wrestling, I've been injured. I've been plagued with injuries. I can't wrestle. I've lost friends and family members this year that I fucking love. And I've, I've lost them. Because I couldn't wrestle, because I couldn't work out, because I was injured, I got out of shape. I got down on myself. This has been a trying year for me. But I've been in there. I've been busting my ass every day because now we see it on online with him and Jordan Oliver. Mm-hmm. He's like, and now I'm going to say this. I'm fucking ready. And now I want you, Moxley. I have some unfinished business because I want my Game Changer Wrestling title back. Yeah. John Moxley says, and he says, he said to, actually, Nick Gage said, and I quote, I'm either going to take that belt from you or you can put a bullet in my fucking head. Mm-hmm. So when Moxley got the microphone, he's talking about his dog, which I thought was weird because his dog's kind of young. Yeah. Because he goes, my dog is six years old now. And in five or six years, when it gets older and it gets uh, decrepit and, and it, it starts to, to be in pain, I'm going to take it out back and I'm going to put it down mm-hmm. because I love that dog. I love that dog with all my heart. And, and Nick, Nicky. Is what he called. Yeah, he called him Nikki. What I did to you when I fought you and I took and I you didn't win this belt. What I did to you is I took you out back and I put you down because I love you and I don't want to see you hurt anymore. But you're even though I did it physically to you, I I I physically put you out. Mentally, you're still trying to fight and you don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what, I'll I'll fight you for this GCW World Title. I get to pick the time and the place. But if I fight you and I put this Game Changer Wrestling title on the line, you have to put your career on the line. Mm. Your career versus my title. What do you say? And Nick Gage says, I didn't have to fucking think about that. Challenge fucking accepted. So now we know in the future we're going to get the king, Nick Gage, versus John Moxley for the Game Changer Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship. Nick Gage's career on the line. How did you feel about that news? I feel like it's the end of the tunnel for John Moxley having the belt. Yeah. Unless they really swerve the shit out of all of us. The writing's on the wall. The Moxley era ends with Nick Gage whenever they book that match. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about this. Moxley has ran through everybody. I mean, there's only a couple people I think maybe could step in there. Uh, Jordan Oliver's one. The young guns, yeah, pretty much. Unless you want to try running it back with Tony Deppin. But, I mean, I don't think they would just generally do that. Or, like I say... There's only a, a very small amount that you can plug in there right now. Nick Gage writes itself, and the storyline is there. It, it almost feels telegraphed. Yeah, that does too to me. And I, I will say this: they are, they are, they have. Sorry, they, not they are. They have booked John Moxley for the Chicago Wrestling Summit mm-hmm. for either th- uh, three cup stuffed or for War Games. It, they don't know which one yet. I just know he's booked to be at one of those events. I doubt highly that he will face Nick Gage there because there's no way Tony Khan and all elite wrestling is going to let him do a death match mere hours before he fights CM Punk for the undisputed right. AEW World Championship. And I don't blame them. No, no, that's a smart business. Anything move. can happen. 
in a death match. Mm-hmm. We know that. Then GCW is going on tour out of country to Japan and England, respectively, and they are coming back to the States in between. The next real time that you could see this is uh, the first weekend of October mm-hmm. when they return to Atlantic City, New Jersey. I don't know if they will do it there, but they could be there. Or they might save it for a bigger show later on. Yeah. I even said that if they want, they could hold it out. Technically, it wouldn't be a death match, but they could hold it out until World on GCW in January. See, I think that would be a smart thing to do, really build it up. Yeah, let it simmer. Yeah. Actually, I think it would be a smart thing, too. I don't think this should be a throwaway match. I think Atlantic City would be cool because it's the home turf. Mm-hmm. But at the same point in juncture, maybe it's a good way to build up a, a, a smaller town or a secondary town that they have now. Like, they've gone to Atlanta now. A couple of, they're going to be returning to Atlanta. We're going to talk about that later. They go to L.A. That be, might be an L.A. match. That might be good to, for business. Maybe Detroit. Detroit's become an A-town, especially at Harpo's. So you never know. I'm just saying, there's a lot of options. If I was booking, if I'm Brett Lauderdale, I let this simmer. I let Nikki get back to 100%. Mm-hmm. I do this in the Hammerstein in January, World on GCW. I understand it's not a death match, but maybe it doesn't have to be. It's going to be violent either way. It's going to be violent either way. You know what? I would love to see it at the Hammerstein next year. I, I think that is the smart money to do. I'm not doubting they don't try doing it at New Year's Eve if they're running at Showboat, though. That could be a possibility as well. I could, probably, I could see that. I will probably be there New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I was there last year. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, Ken can come. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, anybody else that wants to make it? But, yeah. All right. Let's go on to the next show now that we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot about it. I can't believe I almost forgot about it. It's one of well, the biggest it, news of the week. But, you know, what? There's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on with it. So, I mean, GCW, the entirety of this weekend. Later that night, we had Game Changer Wrestling presented. Jersey Championship Wrestling After Hours 2. By the way, it was supposed to start at 1130. It didn't start until after midnight because how long the show went for GCW, which is fine. It was a for free on the Game Changer Wrestling YouTube channel. You can still watch it right now for free. Check it out. Uh, first up, we had Axton Ray defeating Dylan McKay, 7 minutes and 56 seconds. Great match between two young talents. Axton Ray wrestled early in the Scrabble match, has a second match tonight. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Next up, we had young Billy Starks defeat Maki Ito making her GCW JCW debut 11-13 Soy Joy Bomb from uh, Billy Starks, such as her new finish. Yes. Looked very good on Maki Ito. Very fun match. I know young Billy Starks has to be excited about fighting one of her idols. Huge win. Next up, we had a tag team extravaganza that was a lot of fun as the Kirks, Brandon Kirk and Casey Kirk, defeated Big Vin and Sawyer Reckon nine minutes in one second. The end of this match was one of the most entertaining endings of all time as... Uh, Big Vin went to hit Brandon Kirk with a chair, ended up hitting Sawyer Ruck. Sawyer Ruck, or uh, Brandon Kirk, tried to hit Big Vin. He ended up hitting his wife, Casey Kirk. And then the two women left both of those men, laid out in the ring, and went to the bar to drink. And Brandon Kirk just got lucky and rolled on to Big Vin. Yeah. So it was very entertaining. A very I liked it. I liked it a lot. Next match, we had an eight-man tag team match. Team Reefer, the Grim Reefer, Janai Kai, the young prodigy Marcus Mathers, and Yoya defeated the Too Hot team, Azriel, Charlie Tiger, Ellis Taylor, and Too Hot Steve Scott. 13 minutes and 59 seconds. This was a lot of fun. Nobody does an eight-man tag like JCW. This is true. This is their staple. Next up, we had the return of Everett Connors as he defeated all elite wrestling Cesar Bonani. Mm. Eight minutes and 15 seconds, by the way. Cesar impresses me every time he's in JCW. He, it feels like he gets better and better there. I don't know what they're doing with him in AEW because I don't watch Dark and Dark Elevation, but he impresses the shit out of me every time. I Because he's there almost every JCW show, and for some reason, he's great there. You know, the thing about it is, 
I think it's because those fans push him more. I think so. I think he feels that pressure, and that's a good thing that, for him because, I mean, obviously I've been very critical about him. But he is starting to really win me over because it looks like he's putting the work in when he's in JCW. I don't follow that much of Dark, so I don't know what he's really been up to there. But I will say this. I think he hears the fans' criticism, and I think that's a good pressure for him. I want to see it keep up, and I think this guy, he's got a big upside if this keeps going this way. Agreed, agreed. Uh, next up, we had a singles match. Charles Mason, the root of all evil, defeated Charlie Evans, making her JCW return. 15 minutes and 8 seconds. Son of a bitch, Charles yeah. Mason. And then in the main event of the evening, in a hardcore match, SGC's Matthew Justice defeated Slade in 10 minutes, and boy, they tore the building down. Uh, I think there's the record for the most chair shots in a match, unprotected chair shots, I should say, in a match. I try keeping track, and I'm like, I screw this, I'm out. They might as well have called that match CTE the match. Yes, <laughs> literally. Uh, all I got to say is... Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> that but match was wild. Overall, JCW was a lot of fun. You're going to see a lot of young up-and-comers. There were some fun uh, veterans on there. The Maki Ito-Billy Starks match was probably my match of the JCW night. Agreed. So good. Uh, check it out. You can still watch it now for free on Game Changer Wrestling's YouTube channel. All right. That brings us to where we are right now on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Game Changer Wrestling Homecoming Part 2 from the Carousel Room at the Showboat in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we open the card with the GCW Extreme title on the line in the classic GCW Scramble match as your champion, Cole Raddick, defended the DePelt against the Prize City OG, Alec Price, Axton Ray, the base guy, Gringo Loco, the different kind of boy, Jimmy Lloyd, and of course, Masha Salamovich. Yes. This match got seven minutes and 17 seconds at the end of the day and still the Game Changer Wrestling Extreme Champion, the King of Wreck Shit Mountain. Cole Radrick, how'd you feel about it? Fun match, great way to start the night. Next up, we had a singles match. Maki Ito makes her GCW de- debut as she took on and defeated the High Priestess of the Church of Wrestling, the Dark Sheik. This match got 10 minutes and 54 seconds. This was one hell of a match. Love this match. I would love to see this ran back. Kadem, your thoughts? I'm right there with you. I thought this was a great match, and I definitely want to see this ran back. Next up, we got a match that I didn't know I needed until tonight. <laughs> Ninja Kamikaze Max defeated Kevin Blackwood 10 minutes and 8 seconds. This is a mixture of styles. You have Ninja Mac with that fast, aerial, high-flying style. You have Kevin Blackwood, one of the best technical wrestlers in the world today. Oh, my God. They mesh so well together. I would I would like to see this a fight forever. Your thoughts, Ken M? I'm right there with you. I didn't think that this match was going to be as great as it was. But, man, this they made it work. Next up, we had a six-man tag team extravaganza. As the second gear crew, one called Manders, Mance Warner, and Matthew Justice, defeated the team of Blake Christian, Jordan Oliver, and Nick Wayne. 12 minutes and five seconds. The, the story here, though, good match. Got some hardcore elements, plus a lot of good wrestling, mm-hmm. especially when we had that series of dives yeah. from the Young Guns team, if you will. Mm-hmm. But Blake Christian getting booed all over again. The crowd chanting, uh, fuck you, Blake. No uh, heart. No heart was one of them. Uh, there was a, They were very vile to young Blake Christian. Once again, I think a lot of that has to do with leaving. Probably didn't help his cause. And this is going to come into effect when we talk about next week. Probably didn't help his cause that it was already announced by Wrestling Revolver today, as we record on Sunday, mm-hmm. same day as the event, that Blake Christian has been pulled from their next Sunday's event, Sunday, a Bay Day. Yeah. It, like I say, the match itself, 
you know, no arguments about it. Definitely was a fun match. Definitely enjoyed it. But the whole Blake situation just really kind of took the air out of the room for me. Just because the fans, it, it's, it, I understand last night was like the initial shock, but the fans didn't lay off. You can definitely tell it was wearing on Blake a little bit more today than it was yesterday. And obviously there was that weird ending where Mance came in the ring with a bucket of beers and uh, was we had one for Jordan Oliver. They gave uh, Nick Wayne the water. Because he's not old enough to drink. Right. And then Blake was just on the outside just like watching for like, you know, it felt like forever. And, and then, then there he, was a weird thing where Matthew Justice before they left went over and went to say like, you he, know, had a good match or something and looked at him. And like he was looking at him and whatever look that he got, he was just shook his head and kind of shrugged and walked away. Yeah. So it was kind of like this weird like even the workers were kind of like what's going on here. Yeah. I, I, I just think like watching it. Yeah. I think Blake's a very young guy. And, 25. Yeah. And obviously – as you touched upon, he's grown up in GCW. And to see those fans who had always been screaming all hard and been with him since day one, you know, I don't want to say turn their backs on him, but I think they're just very angry about you know him leaving. I think that just really took its toll tonight. Like during that time, you just saw it like in his face. Like this is just my opinion of it. Mm-hmm. But you just saw him just wearing it and just like it sunk in like They've turned their backs on me. Like, you know, there's, I don't know if I'm going to be coming back. Like, just that kind of vibe he gave off. Yeah, it's kind of weird, kind of strange, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Like I said, time heals all wounds. Sure. Uh, next up, we were supposed to get Speedball Mike Bailey taking on Joe Lando. Of course, Joe Melando suffered an ankle injury. So instead, replacing him was Starboy Charlie. So that was awesome. Speedball Mike Bailey then defeated Starboy Charlie in 12 minutes, 58 seconds. Hey, Speedball Bailey is on a, one hell of a streak. He's a guy that deserves a title shot possibly. I can see him there on top for the GCW title. Yeah. On top of that, Starboy Charlie, man, since his return, super impressive. He's looked on point. Next up, we had a tag team match. Your former tag team champions, Bussy, Ali Catch, and Effie, took on the team of Charlie Evans and Everett Connors. This match had a no contest, kind of. Yeah. Because this match went 11 minutes and five seconds. Then Charles Mason came out and attacked Charlie Evans, to which then he tried to attack Effie. Yeah. To which everybody beat up Charles Mason and everybody pinned Charles Mason. So technically, everybody in this match won. Charles Mason lost at the end of the day. Lots of fun, though. Fun match. I mean, you you knew what you're getting from these teams. So, yeah, no arguments about this. Also, next up. GCW Ultra Violent Title Match, and it was a fucking death match. Oh. Your new champion, Rina Yamashia, defeated Sawyer Wreck in 15 minutes and 26 seconds. These two ladies went out there and woo, tore the house down. They absolutely killed it. This is a great match. It's one of the best death matches of the weekend. On a yeah. weekend that has had some great death matches. I know. Great death matches. Uh, the only one I think that this one lost would lose to would be the title match from the night before between Colonia Yamashia. Yeah, just because of a better story. It's nothing it's nothing, nothing against Sawyer. Sawyer Rec, which yeah. is, she's amazing, and she's been getting some huge wins in Game Changer Wrestling. Yep. Next up was the main, well, it was the main event wrestling match of the evening, we mm. should say. And it was also a death match between, and it's a death match in a tag team division, where you had Los Macisos, your former GCW World Tag Team Champion, C. Lopez and Miedo Extremo, taking on who they called the Mega Bastards. Yeah. Alex Cologne and John Wayne Murdoch, the feud of the year, has now become the tag team. And by the way, the Mega Bastards defeated Los Macisos in 14 minutes and five seconds. Let's get to the interesting part at the end of the match. Now, yesterday we found out that there was going to be a tag team war games. Mm-hmm. And in that war games, we were going to have 
at least as far as we knew, SGC, Los Macisos, and the new champions, the Briscoes. After this match, Bussy comes to the ring and says, hey, we haven't gotten a rematch since we lost those belts to Los Macisos. We are entering ourselves in that match because if you guys think you're having all the fun, you can get it over with. And just because you guys think that you're deathmatch guys and we're not, we're going to fucking show you when we kick your asses at Art of War Games. Well, not to be outdone, Alex Colon grabs the mic and says, listen, listen, we just beat Los Macisos. We are the MVPs of deathmatch wrestling. All of you guys are fucking virgins compared to us. <laughs> yep. So I'll tell you what. Yeah, you're right. We were best enemies. Now we're best friends. And now we're going to kick your asses and take that gold. So now we know it's going to be Los Macisos versus the Briscoes versus SGC versus Bussy versus the Mega Bastards, Cologne and John Wayne Murdoch inside of fucking war games. Are you excited or what? War games, war games, war games. Bring it on. I am super excited about this. I I honestly don't know if we're done adding teams, and I don't know what the hell to expect, except it's just going to be absolute chaos in there, and I'm here for it. Absolutely. And then we had a main event segment. Yeah. We had the renewal of the vows between Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green with Maven, former Tough Enough winner Maven, as your as your officiant. Mm-hmm. We had a flower girl, which happened to be the Dark Sheik. Yep. We had the wedding party which happened to be Charlie Evans and Matt Cardona's real-life best friend, mm-hmm. and Big Vin and Billy Starks and Masha Slamovich. Yeah. We had the parents, the Cardonas, Matt Cardona's parents, his mom and dad were there. Mm-hmm. We had a, a beautiful ceremony. Chelsea Green said that she she couldn't say the, the what she meant, and but she needed it in song, so she hired the greatest and cutest singer in the world. So Maki Ito came out and sang a song to, to Matt Cardona. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. We had the ring boy, who somehow lost the fucking rings. <laughs> Would you put it past him? No. Jimmy Lloyd? No, it wasn't a surprise there. Then we had the part of the wedding that you knew was going to get interesting. And it says, does anybody have... Objects this. Now, everybody in the building objected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. want to let you know. But out comes Blake Christian, who were, you were like, they should read the room better. Yeah. I understand him and Cardona had the feud. He got Cardona got injured in the match with Blake. But here it is. The crowd is booing Blake for two nights. Yeah. They booed him when he comes out. So the, you can't have a, a face moment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they were smart. They knew. Instead, he hugs Matt Cardona, giving the heel heat to Cardona. He did hug Chelsea and grab the ass a little bit, but then, you know, fist bumped Cardona. Yeah. Interesting. So then they go back to it. They ask if anybody else is going to object. Out comes Allie Catch in her in a wedding dress, or not a wedding dress, like a, a, a nice formal, formal dress. dress with a present. She said, you know, hey, I'm happy for you. I'm not here to object. I just want to say thank you, and here's a gift of my gratitude. Oh, well, she also mentioned that the bar was not an open bar. They're cheap sons of bitches. Yeah. She had to buy her own drink. But the gift was some Rogaine, some spray hair. For Matt Cardona, because she's noticed that he's been wearing a lot of hats lately, so he must be going bald up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then she just stood there. We finished the ceremony, pronounced man and wife, beautiful moment, and then for whom the bell tolls hits. Yes. And here comes the real king of the death matches, Nick fucking Gage, and he comes out. Crowd loves it. They're mashing with him. He comes to ringside. Matt Cardona is hiding behind his dad. His dad approaches Nick Nick Gage, Nick Gage turns his back, gets handed a light tube, a purple light tube, and proceeds to break it over Matt Cardona's dad's head. Wild. We didn't see that coming. No. Then he proceeds to give a spine buster 
to Matt Cardona. Chelsea Green gives him an earful before the ladies cram the cake into Chelsea Green's face. And Allie Ketch gives her a pile driver into the cake. And then we noticed earlier a gift that looked an awful lot like light tubes. Mm -hmm. It was light tubes, and they were used over the head of one Matt Cardona. He's bleeding all over his Macho Man-inspired suit. Yeah. And then Nick Gage brought a gift Mm -hmm. that Dewey Donovan handed him. In a nicely lift-wrapped box, he had to untie it. That's so formal. And when he opened it up and reached inside, there was a beautiful pizza cutter. Mm -hmm. And he proceeded proceeded to slice Matt Cardona up for the entire wedding party. Yeah. And we went off air knowing that it was MDK all oh, fucking, fucking day. day. Uh, very entertaining segment. I just got to throw it out there. No, once it got going, like it, it just, it seemed like the middle section of that drug a little bit just because they, they looked like it felt like they were stalling a little bit. But Maven was, Maven was hysterical. Uh, the Blake thing was, you know, it was interesting, but at least they turned him heel for that moment. Got a little bit of heat back to Cardona. Yeah, because he had to do something for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, obviously, Nick being Nick. I mean, perfect way to cap off the weekend. We knew it was coming, but hey, good ending for the weekend. Uh, Speaking of Game Changer Wrestling, they are on again next weekend, starting Friday night, which I'm assuming it is going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm -hmm. And they are making their debut in Concord, North Carolina, at the Cabreus Arena and Event Center. You can get these on Fight.TV. It was not up for listing as of time we went here but i'm sure there will be a bundle of course like i said this is friday night the 19th of august uh concord north carolina and here's what they have announced so far the king of the south george south taking on effie so legendary george south against mm. effie. andrew Everett making his return oh wow and he's taking on kevin blackwood oh that'll be a good match in a tag team match we have the revolt caleb conley and zane riley wait a minute that's caleb with a k <laughs> oh, wow. Exactly. And they're taking on the second gear crew, Matt's Warner and Matthew <laughs> Justice. So welcome to Game Changer Wrestling. Yep. In a six-man tag team match, we have Axton Ray tagging with Kerry and Ricky Morton, taking on the team of Billy Starks, the Southern gentleman, Chris Hamrick. That's a name you haven't seen in a while. And the East Coast Ace, Jordan Oliver. That's a hell of a tag team. That's an interesting combination. Colby Carino makes his return to Game Changer Wrestling as he takes on the king of wreck shit mountain, Cole Radrick, which I'm assuming will be for the extreme title. That's going to be a fun match. Now, this next match is a match that is card subject to change because all heart, Blake Christian is set to take on Joe Lando. Joe Lando has hurt his ankle. Blake Christian has been pulled from the Wrestling Revolver show next weekend. This match may not happen, and, and Blake might be there. Joe Lando might not. Joe Lando might be healthy enough, and Blake might. So we're going to put a big question mark. Yeah, that's a big old asterisk by that one. In the last match that is announced so far, and you know this is going to be a fucking death match, Charlie Evans and Everett Connors are going to be taking on Los Macisos. <laughs> that's going to be wild. The next night, they are back in action on Saturday, August the 20th, and I'm assuming also at an 8 p.m. Eastern start time for, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, from the Center Stage Theater with GCW Hope to Die. Hmm. They don't have a lot announced so far, but here's what they do have announced. Once again, we're going to be uh, putting a big question mark and asterisk next to this because they have announced All Heart Blake Christian versus Masha Slamovich. We do not know the status of Blake Christian as of now. Right. Next up, they have the All Elite Nick Wayne. Taking on Joe Lando, once again, question mark. We don't know the status of Joe Lando. I could see uh, Wayne versus Masha Slamovich as a backup to do these or maybe two other challengers. Who knows? Yeah, because I think that was the way they'll go. Man, talk about having a tough two nights as Charlie Evans and Everett Connors take on the second gear crew, Matthew Justice and Mance Warner. Welcome back to GCW. 
down from from down from the Georgia area, Atlanta area. Slim J is taking on the East Coast State's Jordan Oliver in a one-on-one match. Hmm. And last, but certainly not least, on the announce for the GCW Ultraviolent title, it was originally announced back when it was announced. Alex Cologne versus Hunter Freeman. Obviously, Cologne is no longer the champion, so I'm assuming this will be a, just a fucking death match or, or Rena if she's in in the country. I don't know if she'll be there or not. She's not listed as somebody who's going to be there, but. If not, I think it'll just be Alex Cologne versus Hunter Freeman in a fucking death match. Yeah, and that's gonna be wild. Either way, it should be a great event. That will be the last. That will be their last event before they take a week off, and then of course it will be the Chicago Summit next week on the show. We will have the review of the GCW weekend along with a bunch of other things, as you know. Well, with that being said, that is gonna do it for the mid card of this week's 607 TWS. We are gonna take our final break. When we come back from that break, it is going to be time for the main event of the show. We are going to be talking the inconvenient truth, the Tony Khan myth. When we come back from this break. Wrestling fans, are you ready? Uh, let's get ready to rumble! That is right, it is time to rumble, it is time to start the main event for this week's episode of 607 T. WS and of course uh, we are going to go back to the inconvenient truth. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a three-parter. Uh, since we had time to do an op-ed in the main event, we decided we'll do three parts. Part one was the myth that there was ever a time where WWE was actually losing to AEW. Whether you liked it or not, we definitely brought up nothing but the truth Facts. right down the middle. Mm-hmm. This week we are going to talk about the TK myth. And next week, we are actually going to talk about the Triple H myth. Mm. So it's all fair. Yeah, it's, it's all, all fair. We, t- we talk about everybody. Right down the middle. And then, of course, the following week, our main event will be previewing All Out Clash of the Castle. Because we're going to do them together because we put them on the same pedestal. Right. With that being said, let's talk about what I mean by the TK myth and mm. the inconvenient truth. Mm-hmm. Listen, man. First of all, I know everybody out there is going to be like, he is the Lord and Savior the booker and promoter of the year. There's a bunch of people who believe that. However, there's also a bunch of people who believe that he's a charlatan, he's a con man, and he's terrible. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I don't believe either of those sides. I'm kind of, there's a third side and the real side of Tony Khan. Tony Khan is like myself. He's like Ken M. He's like pretty much anybody who's listening to the show. He is a fan of professional wrestling. 
He is a huge fan of professional wrestling. I would say he's on my level of fandom or Ken's level of fandom or any of you out there that are super high and have annoyed family members, friends, girlfriends, wives with pro wrestling. He is one of us. Yes. <laughs> he is a wrestling nerd. And I no shitting on it, but I, I love that about him. He is a student of the game. He grew up much like myself in the uh, WW Attitude ECW era, mm. just like me. He is a huge ECW fan to the point that I caught one of his tweets where he was plugging Quake by the Lake and he said that uh, if you miss it, this will be a regret you won't forget. That was a tagline for the November to remember from right. Paul Heyman. He used to say, if you miss the November to remember, it will be a, uh, it will be a regret you won't forget. So he took that line from there. And I'm not saying that he's plagiarized it, but that's where he got it from. No, so he's paying homage to him. For all of us fans of... Extreme Championship Wrestling, the real Extreme Championship Wrestling. Tony Khan throws shit out there like that, and I love it. A lot of the storylines, very Paul Heyman-esque, very Attitude-esque. You know, sometimes to detriment. Mm -hmm. I, I personally am one to believe that is why he doesn't focus on women's wrestling. And that's it is what it is. And I'm not here to fight with people who might think I'm wrong or you're wrong. We can just agree that the women's division could be better than it is and that there's a lot of justified, I'm going to come back to that word, uh, criticism about that division. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. But think about it. In the Attitude Era, it was truly only there for the TNA factor. Right. And I'm not saying that's necessarily his goal with it. I think he does treat it more like a sport. Right, right. However, think about it. If you were a young man that grew up in the ECW Attitude Area and that's the era like we all loved, then you might not be high on women's wrestling. I turned out to be high on women's wrestling, but I that's because I watched a lot of women's wrestling in the in the indies. Because women's wrestling has been healthy in the indies since the early two thousands. Mm -hmm. I've I've gotten to see Mercedes Martinez for like twenty years and Sarah Del Rey for like you know the the extremities that she was there 15, 16 years before going to World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, I've got I got to see all them. I got I got to watch and work with Sasha Banks before she was fucking Sasha Banks. Mm -hmm. So like there's all these women's wrestlers who are either now coming into their own or have already retired and unfortunately didn't get their due ever who were phenomenal women's wrestlers. I grew up in the shimmer age where Dave Prezak was putting on tremendous women's wrestling. I grew up watching Japanese wrestling and watching stardom, you know, in the, in the mid 2000s. Cause I'm a fan who went out of his way, especially in his twenties to consume all this independent content, content in uh, Japanese content. And I'm not saying that makes me better than anybody. It doesn't, but that's why I prefer women's wrestling and I appreciate and respect it. Maybe. And I'm once again, this is not me knowing him. Maybe he just didn't. You know what I mean? Maybe he wasn't watching that, and I don't think he was. Right. I mean, if he's grew up, he grew up in there. I mean, it's, it was a different time period. So if that's your first exposure to pro wrestling. I mean, that's where you kind of take the the footnotes from and move on. I agree. So I once again, that's not a defense, or it's not a burial of Tony right, Khan. Right, right. I'm just saying you have to understand where Tony Khan is coming from in his booking decisions and in his philosophies of wrestling. Mm -hmm. It's much like the Jim Cornettes of the world, who we really despise. But his are all rooted in these old 1980s, 19, early 1990s attitude era at the latest. Yeah. Thoughts about how pro wrestling should be. You know, he's the guy who's like, oh, if we have the little people wrestle, it's an attraction. Mm -hmm. The women's match is an attraction. No, no, no. The women's match can be the fucking show. Yeah, it could be the main event. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, there's all those things that you hear from Cornette. It's kind of similar things. Once again, can't just crucify him for how they grew up in wrestling. Not going to the times you can. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. 
So with that being said, that's just kind of my backstory on Tony Khan. So I don't think he's this evil genius either way. I don't think he's just so buffooning. I've called him a money mark in the past. Uh, mostly because it's funny, but I don't necessarily think he's that buffoon money mark uh, that some people portray him to that he's an idiot because he's not. Mm -hmm. And I also don't think that he is this genius who is the promoter and booker of the year and can do no wrong and is the savior of pro wrestling. Because I don't think either of those are true. I think it falls in the middle like most people. I think, and this is where Inconvenient Truth comes in, the myth is this. I don't think he can do this all on his own. I don't think that Tony Khan is capable of doing it on his own. And to defend it real quick, I don't think anybody is capable of doing all of this on their own. Tony Khan is playing the marketing guy. He's playing the booker. He's playing the promoter. He's playing the businessman all at once. When they first started out, you had Cody Rhodes there helping. You had the Young Bucks helping. You had Kenny Omega helping. And then somehow, some way, I do believe Tony Khan got a big head. Because he started usurping power from all of them. Now they're not in charge of the things they were. Now, you know, and obviously Cody's gone, but he usurped that power before and we all knew about it. He usurped the power from the Young Bucks. He usurped the power from Kenny Omega. And it has led to some friction, especially, obviously, Cody Rhodes isn't there. He won't talk about it, but we know there was friction and that's why Mm -hmm. he left. He said it was personal and I'm not talking about it. And I respect that, by the way. Mm -hmm. We're not a dirt sheet. We don't care about the... You know, yeah, it does. He just said, he said, I won't talk about it. That's where we end it. And obviously, there's some problems with Kenny Omega. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's telling. It's telling. And I think that there's a lot of people preparing for the Omega thing because, unbeknownst to anybody, this past Thursday, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Melser brings up, and I quote, Kenny Omega signed a four year deal with AEW on February 1st, 2019. So his deal would be, would in theory be up in February of 2023. However, AEW has the contractual right to extend Omega's contract for roughly another nine months based on being out of action for a lengthy period of time. So that means that his contract, if that was the case, would be up in November of 2023. Correct. If I'm doing the math right, right, yeah. Why is that a thing? Why is that being brought up? Uh, Last time we heard anything like this from Dave Meltzer was when Cody was negotiating a contract and left. Are they gearing up for Kenny Omega to leave? And once again, where this ties in to Tony Khan is, is he running off his inner circle? It's a great question to bring up. And you have to take a look at the facts that are in front of you. I mean, just the perception is reality, I should say. Obviously, when Cody left, and we've heard about how he has taken control back from the EVPs, that they were only in title only, I believe was the correct terminology. Uh, Correct. That... At some point, the fan thinks, you know, they start believing all the hype they're hearing. And, you you know, when you start getting – and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but I think this has, to, has some themes going on with it. You come out the gate, and there's a lot of excitement for the brand. It's supposed to be the new alternative. I think that was the terminology that everybody was using mm-hmm. when they first came out. And then at some point, things started shifting away, and there was a different visions involved. And, you know, like it sounded like Kenny Omega had one idea of how it was supposed to be, and Cody had a different one in the books. That when Tony decided to pull everything under one roof, it definitely caused some friction there. And I think at that point, he got in the idea that, you know, well, if, there's, if there needs to be one person, I need to be like a Vince McMahon type. I need to run everything. I need to do that. 
when in reality, he's still very new to this entire business. And what he should be doing is utilizing the, the talent and knowledge around him to run that business. Because Vince would always bring in other people, like how Nick Khan became one of the inner circle. Stephanie was trained uh, to take over the business. And then you had Triple H also involved in the day-to-day operations. When you start having people like that that really have a knowledge of you know for business and for the, the, the sports side of things, that helps. And I think that what he did is... He just tried doing too much on himself, and it started rubbing people the wrong way when, you know, you're trying to offer your opinion, and he's brushing it away, and everybody's kind of going, well, what do you know? You, you've only been doing this for how long now? Right, and I think the other big problem here is that you have to remember that these people around him, there's some people, just like any promoter, it's not him. Right, 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 right. They're feed your right. ego. You know, the Dave Meltzer's of the world are feeding your ego, telling you you're the booker and promoter of the year, that there's, you know, you're the savior of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. There's some yes-men probably around you telling you the same. One of them being Chris Jericho. We know this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and because he doesn't decipher what's, you know, constructive criticism from ass-kissing and yes-mannery, He's falling in the same hole as Vince McMahon, Yeah, where Vince McMahon had this circle around him as well. As you spoke about the people who were smart enough to run the business, you got to remember Vince McMahon also had the John Laurinaitis's of the yep. world and the Kevin Dunn's of the world and the Bruce Pritchard's Pritchers. of the world there to kiss his ass and reassure him that he's the greatest and his decisions are amazing. And that's why he can shut down anything he wants. That's why he can take people who were developed in NXT as a developmental, bring them to the main roster, change their whole identity, change their whole fucking gimmick, and then go, hey, you failed down at NXT to produce us a star no 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 you changed everything about them Mm -hmm. you guys did that not triple h and then you use that to kind of run triple h the fuck out the door and rebrand just that in your name and it fucking fell on its face like 100 percent. that's a vince mcmahon thing we're going to talk more about that next week so i don't want to get too deep into it but there's a little preview of of calling it down the middle right i think we've seen the same thing with tony khan you have all these media people who get the clicks and the likes because there's enough people that hate WWE out there and there's enough people who uh, just want to troll and whatever. And because of this, those those sites, Wrestling Observer, Fightful, they get the clicks. So why wouldn't you go with the titillating articles that keep bashing WWE and putting over AEW? Because it's getting the clicks, it's making them money, it's making them tune in for $5 or $10 a month, whatever, for subscription service mm. to hear nonsense and bullshit. And how they keep that information coming, especially in AEW, is, hey, if you kiss the ass of Tony Khan, he'll continue to give you whatever you want. And meanwhile, there was probably criticism from Cody Rhodes. He said that there was some criticism and butting heads, right? Mm-hmm. That, that part he let out. Yes. We've heard from the Young Bucks that there's been some criticism from them. Mm-hmm. And then most importantly, we've heard a lot of criticism from Kenny Omega to the point that he was removed from the game. And not from the actual game, but from the development. the development of the game, sorry. And also, he was removed from running the women's division, which he did. And that was even more crystal clear when they brought in Madison Rain mm-hmm. and announced her as the head of the women's division. Yeah. So, and now they've had Pat Buck as one of their head agents and, and yada, da 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 Once again, you have William Regal there. You have Arn Anderson. Mm -hmm. You have Dean Malenko. And your choices for the people to be running the wrestling business, and this is nothing against him. I know Pat Buck, and he's a nice guy. Yeah. But Pat Buck, I would choose Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, or Regal over Pat Buck having anything to do with it. And it's not a shot at Pat Buck. No, but you, I know him and he's a great guy and he's got a great mind for the business. But why wouldn't you take one of the greatest minds in the business? You have three of them. Yeah. And that's not, and then you don't have more than them. Those are just the three I'm naming. William Regal, the right hand man 
of Triple H. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you guys think about NXT, the bottom line of it was when Regal and Triple H were running NXT was the best fucking wrestling program on television. It might have not reflected in the ratings. It might have not reflected from WWE. And you could go, oh, some of those guys failed on the main roster. That's because, once again, they were gutted. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole different ball of wax. And the universe wanted to tune in and the AEW haters wanted to tune in. But I'm going to tell you what. Go back in time and watch when the Wednesday, quote unquote, Wednesday Night Wars were going on and tell me that. NXT wasn't the better show most of the time. Exactly. No, that's the whole thing, that they had the ship ran right, and they understood how to appease it. Now, I mean, that the, the argument you got is, okay, well, Wednesday nights. Well, Wednesday night you split the difference. But it was also the quote-unquote developmental brand going against the flagship show. So, of course, AEW should win. That's, well, that's a whole different ball of wax. But once again, they were winning when Cody Rhodes mm-hmm. was doing a lot of the booking, or at least a lot of the agenting. Right. And when Kenny Omega was bringing in Riho and, uh, and 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 Sheeta and everybody else to bolster the women's division. Yeah. And the young bucks obviously were killing in the tag team division. So you had you had the the hands, the EVPs and name only mm-hmm. were actually doing stuff. And then because of the success, I think that Tony Khan let hey I beat WWE to his head. I think he let that go to his head. And you could see that in his tweets. You could see it in the tweets where he was like, oh, you know, we we won the Friday Night War. You didn't even, the week that they won, you won in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago, Mm -hmm. three cities. Right. When SmackDown was on FS1. Yeah. But only won in three cities. They still beat you in the overall number and the demo overall. So you can't, you can't take that win. And he's like, well, Jerry McDivitt, the WWE lawyer, even said we won. What What do you mean? Who, who gives a fuck what a guy who, what, where are you coming from? Yeah. Like, and that doesn't matter. Cool. You did it one week, bro. Even if, it, even if we treat it as this real, then you need to replicate what happened over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mind you, on different nights, Wednesday to Friday. <laughs> yeah. It's all different. Area Dynamite there. has never beaten, never done above a 1.5. It's only, the highest was a 1.47. I do believe I could be off by that, but it's never been higher than a 1.5, ever. I checked that number. Night after all out, right? Yeah, that was the, no, the CM Punk, yeah. Oh, the CM Punk one, okay. CM Punk. Uh, the Rampage, that was the highest rated Rampage. And right, that, right. And it was the night after, wasn't it? Was it all out? Yeah, yeah. I believe it was one night after one. Point, one point four seven. Right. It was the night, yeah. So anyways, never has been higher than 1.5. That's facts. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, SmackDown sits over the 2 million mark and now 2.5 million. And Raw, which was the fledgling one, always sat right around 1.6. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little lower, sometimes a little higher. We went over this last week. Right. So you aren't really taking it to anybody. You were, you're not. And this is what's hurting the product. And this is why this is where we talk about. The myth is that Tony Khan is the savior of pro wrestling. He's not. And if you fans love AEW, that's fine. But if you love it, this is where you need to get into the ear. And you need to say your displeasures. And you need to say it's not all. You can't tell me everything they do is great. And that's why I don't believe certain people. And there's certain people in the media who have podcasts and who have and, and who have uh, newsletters and fucking special things. that they're, they're like, oh, man, it's all grass is green over here on the AEW. And you're like, well, no, there was, we counted it, 13 fucking promos Mm -hmm. on the last episode of Dynamite, eight of which were in the first hour. Yeah. Eight of which were in the first hour. And the only reason there's only five in the second hour is because the main event took about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. They give it plenty of time. Yeah. So therefore, (laughs) 13 promos and they were wild and some of them didn't even need to fucking happen. Including yeah. a full-on advertisement for this Friday's Rampage and next Wednesday's Dynamite. Mm-hmm. 
Why don't you plug, if you're going to, it's fine if you're going to plug Rampage to try to get numbers, but why don't you plug the Dynamite on Rampage on Friday? Yeah. Don't plug what's going on next week. You already saw it. If we knew something happened, you should just do what they do in passing in WWE and other places. When we saw the two teams match up, go, oh, it's just been official. So-and-so is facing so-and-so next week because of what we just saw. Yeah. Okay, cool. There's no reason for a graphic. There's no reason to waste five minutes of television time telling us about the next week of television programming. Yeah, it's not an incentive to watch. Right. And you wonder why it's failing. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But once again, if your honest opinion is this is all great and this is what you love, that is fine. I have no problems with you. I have no problems with anybody. But let's be honest. For those of us who are watching everything, and I can die, you know, I can go into what's going on in ring, what's going on promos, what's going here, what's hot, what's the buzz, what's going on, and doing it impartially, I'm going right now, AEW feels flat. There was a time where it was hot and fresh, and then all of a sudden it felt flat. To the point is, we're recycling time and time again storylines. Don't believe me? Hmm, let's go ahead and talk about it. CM Punk, all of his, up until now, which I guess we're going to get a rivalry in two weeks between him and Mox for the next two, three weeks. But anyways, up until now, has had the same exact one every time. Yeah. His rivalry with uh, MJF looked an awful lot like the rivalry with Adam Page. Yep. You know what I mean? Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just they're not really doing anything to really shake things up and move the needle. Hey, remember the trials of Jericho? Yeah. Hmm. Awful looked like that build between Wardlow and MJF. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is there something to that? How about this one? Because this is more on topic now. Remember MJF and Punk? What was the rivalry built upon? MJF and Punk? Yeah. What was the, like, the, the base of it built on? The MJF looked up to and loved CM yeah. Punk, and CM Punk left him. Yeah, he took his ball and went home. He, he left him. What is the current build for Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson? Hero worship. Hero worship. The same thing. I loved you, and then you got hurt, and you left me. You were my inspiration. You were the reason I wanted to become a pro wrestler. And then you left me. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact storyline told again. It, and by the way, in, a, in the same calendar year, pretty much. Yeah. Because we only wrapped up MJF and Punk back at, uh, was it not double or not? Uh, it was Revolution. Because mm-hmm. that's when they had the dog collar match. Yes. Which, how many matches of those have they done in a, in a year? Right. And along with coffin matches. I mean, it hasn't been like three three coffin matches in three years? Something like that. I mean, that is the Darby Allen special. Right, but... But my point of the matter is, is for the fresh. You know, there was a time when AEW did feel a little fresh. Mm-hmm. When there was different things. But now we're rehashing storylines constantly. The promo work is, eh, at best. There's a few people who can talk. There's a lot that can't. Yeah. On top of this, half of the... Ro- you know, there was a while where we were justifying like half the roster didn't have a storyline. Now I feel like he's overcorrected that. There's too many storylines with no payoffs. Mm-hmm. And somebody will say, oh, it's long-term booking. Okay, so how much longer do we have to wait on the already year of Kip Saban? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great question. Okay. Uh, uh, can somebody tell me that, long-term bookers? I need to know how much longer we have to wait. When are we going to ever find out what the fuck nonsense Miro is spewing? <laughs> Yeah, that that's whole, been going on for months. In between him disappearing and coming back, sure, disappearing but, and coming but still, back. whatever the wherever the character is supposed to be, like what is the character? Remember when the Dark Order was a threat? Mm. Oh, I don't because they booked him that on paper, and then they never have been. Yeah, they've never done. 
Like the the whole problem is is that now it's like oh now we have all this added stuff now we got the Bucks and Hangman Page now we got the Bucks and the Undisputed Elite now we've got you know Andrade and Los Ingobernables faction or fa- faction Los Ingobernables sorry mm-hmm. I have to say it the right way right because they don't want to get sued <laughs> uh, you got them and they're sometimes feuding with Death Triangle but sometimes feuding with Matt Hardy uh, sometimes feuding with House of Black in a little bit of a way. It's fucking weird, right? Yeah, it's, it's fucking it, weird. It's a weird dynamic. And here we are. And and like I said, now I guess we should be happy that there's now stories, but there's no payoff to said storylines because I think what happens is he gets ADD. Mm. Oh, shit, we can do this over here, so now we're going to forget about this over here. Yeah. And that's the problem with too many storylines, and there's no payoffs. And that's that's gospel. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong, Ken. No, I, I just no, I mean, that, but no, that's the whole thing. It's just there's too many things going on to keep track of and run it smoothly. And that's the problem. I can understand the enthusiasm about being a fan. And I I will say this. I applaud his enthusiasm. However, there's a time and a place for it. Got to be a businessman too. Exactly. And you need to draw that line. Like You can't go on Twitter and, and, and start making tweets like a fan to the point where we're sitting at home going like, are you the head of the company or are you just somebody that's in the front row? I want to throw this out there too. Every time we have to do your, a post-pay-per-view or post-big event media scrum, Tony Khan is sitting there with the talent, talking with the talent. Nobody cares what you have to say. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a mean fucking way. We want to hear, if you're going to do those scrums, people want to hear the storyline and maybe some real life mixed in of CM Punk. They want to hear it from MJF if he's there or whoever. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want to hear the storyline continuation and maybe some real life. Sprinkle in a little shoot with the work. And they want to hear from the talent. You know what? You know who you got the scrum idea from? New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Do you know what we don't see at New Japan Pro Wrestling? Their management. The owner yeah. or any management being a part of that scrum. Except for if you watch the beginning, uh, a lot of times you'll see Gaido out of character or sometimes another office guy, but a lot of times Gaido. And he'll open the scrum by just saying, welcome to the, the media. We're going to get people in here as they go. Ask your questions. We'll try to get to everybody. Thank you. Yeah, that's all he should be doing because it should be about the wrestlers, not about him. If Tony wants to come out and say, hey, listen, it was a great night of wrestling action. Thank you guys for tuning out. Do you have any business questions for me? Take some questions, and then as soon as he's done, hey, I'm going to bring out the AEW World's Heavyweight Champion, CM Punk, get in here. And that's when he should fuck off and let CM Punk talk. Yeah. And then he, if he wants to be the MC, I'm fine with that. He can come back out and say, oh, thank you guys for having some questions, CM Punk. Now let's have, talk to the man who he beat for the title. Hangman Adam Page, come in, tell, you know, come in. And then that's when Hangman Adam Page can do a storyline like, I'm, you know, I don't know where I am. I need to reassess. And we could have gotten good story instead of Tony Khan as soon as somebody says something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's justified. Yeah. The, I mean, the, what he should be doing is taking a playbook out of uh, the UFC and Dana White. Dana does his, his scrums after, but it's all just interviewing him. And then when the wrestlers or fighters come out, like they, he stays out of it. He, like he'll listen and just kind of you know, be very quiet and an attentive, you know, MC about that. Or even when he does the the post ones with, on ESPN Plus, where he right, just right. comes in one interview or ask him a couple questions and then that's it. Like that's what it should be about. But when your fandom is overriding your business decisions, 
this is the road for disaster. Absolutely. And I think that's the problem. And this is what the thing is. He needs to take that step back. He needs to realize that the company has to come first. He needs to double down on good storylines, good storytelling. He needs to double down on the stars people want to see. People are, you know, obviously people are showing with their viewership habits and with their wallets that we don't necessarily always want to see former WWE guy being the winner. Mm -hmm. We want to see some of those homegrown talents. We want to see the evolution of Hangman Page, not be like, oh man, Hangman Page sounds like a whiny bitch again. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, and I mean, I understand this is my grape, and that's why I'm using it that way. But I'm not alone. You can go on the internet and see a lot of people, and unfortunately, they get attacked by people. So a lot of times, you don't always see them. I just have conversations with people in private mm-hmm. because they know I'm not going to attack them. They're like, "Hey, I love it, but you were right." Yeah. Hey, I love it, but this. Is, but if they're ever going to compete and really compete. They have to separate church from state, if you will. Exactly. No, that's the whole thing that they have not learned to do yet. And they're not going to be able to make that leap until they finally commit to it. And here's the other problem that we have. Tony Khan needs to tweet less. Yes. I want to go with tweeting less because a lot of his problems, and this is going to be where I go at the end, is this is this is the one of the main things he can do right now. Because when he's tweeting all the time, first of all, I don't want a businessman sounding desperate. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the owner of a company. If your company is so hot, why do I see you tweeting about, make sure you tune into Dynamite tonight. Make sure you tune into this tonight. Make sure you, you know, you have a social media team. The AEW social media guy should be out there at AEW, should be out there mm-hmm. putting on Twitter or across the board, putting out, you know, tune in tonight's Dynamite, putting out the packages pumping up the show during the show. If you want to tweet here and there, that's that's fine. But it gets to a point where he's always tweeting, but he has to find something to tweet about. And that's where we get to this shit like justified. Yeah. How often are we watching Dynamite and all of a sudden Tony Khan justified this is awesome chance for, for you know, insert match here. Justified. Just, listen, it's not justified. It can't be justified. You know why? It's art. It's subjective. Mm-hmm. If, if you think it's awesome, it's justified. So if the fan at home thinks that this match that they're watching right now is justified, it's justified. It's an opinion. Mm-hmm. The same as if the fan thinks that the match sucks. They're justified yeah. because it's an opinion. It's a fucking opinion, man. So you can't be like justified, this is awesome chance. There's no justification. In your mind, it's justified. It's true because it is. But this person who has the, man, this match fucking sucked, they're also justified. It's an opinion. A fucking opinion. Like we talked about this earlier and like the way to do it. Justified can mean that it's real. But it has to be fact-based. Like, you could say that you were – uh, I can't remember the uh, one I used earlier, unfortunately. But <laughs> if, if you were to say, you know, hey, the Buffalo Bills could win the Super Bowl this year, you'd be justified in saying that. Yeah. Why would you be that? Not just because you're a Bills fan. Right. And it could be as an opinion. But in your case, it would because you could point to, well, look at the receiving core. Look at they have a top three mm-hmm. quarterback according to most rankings. They have uh, one of the best defenses in the league according to most rankings. Now, mind you, games can change. Obviously, we play games on the field. Mm-hmm. But if looking at the numbers, you can say that the Bills have a justification to be a Super Bowl contender this year. And it is justified. It's justified in your opinion as a Bills fan, but it's also justified because when you look on paper, they have a top five offense, a top five defense, a top five quarterback, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the top five in a sport, in a real sport, guess what? That means you're pretty damn good. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the whole thing about it. There, There's reason for it to say justified. But especially when you're coming out and how it's coming out. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway I have from it. It's like you don't have to sit there and try selling it to your fan base that is already tuned in to watch it. If you're trying to sell this to people not watching WWE, 
trying to keep saying it's justified is not getting you anywhere. As somebody that lives on Twitter, I can tell you right now the conversations I have with people, and, and I get a lot of like, here we go again. And I'm like, the match is good. He's like, yeah, but I don't need to hear this constantly. Uh, from the promoter. Yeah. Especially from the promoter. So I will say this. There is a, a, a line at the end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. If people started, like, this is why we're critical. And this is why if some people here, and there's other people that are critical that we know they've listened to. Yep. Not just us. I'm not just floating our own boat. No, no. But I'm sure they have because I've seen how they've listened to other people and changed some things. Like, remember when they didn't have moving graphics? Now they have moving graphics mm-hmm. because, you know, there is some learning, and I will give credit to AEW. They try to, you know, they try to make everybody happy. Sure. The silver lining here, the light at the end of the tunnels, everything I just mentioned that needs to be worked on and fixed, it looks like it is being. To an extent, mm-hmm. i.e., it looks like he's trying to get some kind of uh, crew around him so he's not doing everything on your own. All those hirings. It yeah. looks like he's actually trying to put it around a real inner circle. Whether I think that those are the best people for the job, that's not for me to decide. It'll be shown on television. Right. The product is going to show that, right? It also looks like he's trying to shore up storylines because two of those positions specifically said one was coming up with storylines and the other one was making sure things were being done mm-hmm. and that they made sense. <laughs> like literally those were the, the job titles were right. So it looks like, yes, he's focusing on the storylines we had problems with. The last thing, and this is the big one is the tweeting. He's doing less of it. He's still putting out some of the dumber ones and he's not putting out, but the one thing, and this is telling, I think this is what tells everybody what you need to know is he stopped putting out the anti WWE ones. Yeah. The ones that were veiled shots at world wrestling entertainment, whether it's, we won the Friday night war, whether it's i uh, I'm the longest reigning CEO yep. in wrestling currently, because this past week during an interview with Dazen, he said the following about what's going on in the wrestling world. If you like good wrestling, you're just more likely to want to see it because our competitor WWE has been doing better shows recently than they had been doing. I think I watch them pretty often and I think they've been better. So now he's gone from, Hey, we're kicking their ass. We're better to, Oh man, the product center. What's the difference? Well, I think it's a trying sense of the, you know, room. Like they get the time in the room to put it specifically. He understands that the fan base that he has built is starting to look at the competition and they're really starting to gravitate towards it because of what triple H has been able to do. In two weeks, you see a lot of positive feedback for WWE programming. And that's got to eat at him. And this is not a shot at him, but just saying about what he's kind of built around him, that he's now making those attempts to really kind of get a a stronger grasp of everything going on and hopefully try righting the ship. Well, with that being said, in closing, this is the inconvenient truth about Tony Khan. Once again, I'm glad for his enthusiasm. I'm glad that AEW is a company. I find them entertaining. Sure. I just hope they do better because more competition means better wrestling. And as a greedy wrestling fan, I want the best wrestling action I can watch each and every week. Hey, this is why we tune in every single week to do this. We're hoping not this isn't like just to go on there and rip them apart, but we want to see them do better. We want to support them. We're doing it the right way. We are tuning in respectively. We're buying the pay-per-views. Because we're trying to support them. So hopefully this gets a step in the right direction. And don't worry. For those of you who find yourself to be bigger AEW fans, next week we're going to take the task World Wrestling Entertainment and the Triple H myth. Yep. I promise that is going to go pretty much. It's not the same because there's different problems. But these are the inconvenient truths and the things of wrestling. And at the end of the day, as fans, it is the best time to be a fan of pro wrestling, the things that we love. It might not make you cool. It might not be the greatest thing. But to the world. 
but to us it is. Mm-hmm. And we can watch it in so many different ways, whether it's IWTV, Fight.TV, uh, The Peacock, NJPWWorld.com, uh, AEW is on you know the TNT app and on television and all that happy jazz. We can consume it seven days a week in unlimited hours. It's right. amazing. So let's focus on that positive. But realize that with the negatives of the world, when you go on there and you say that this is this and this and this and this is facts, there's inconvenient truths that not all of them are facts, and we have to accept those. Mm-hmm. With that being said, Ken M., Tell the fine folks how to find you in the Ocho Dura Parley Hour podcast one last time. Very simple. Swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. We love talking wrestling with everybody along with a parlay of topics. New blogs kind of anywhere is in the blog section of Parlay Points, so you definitely want to go check it out. Talking the NWA, talking Circle 6, and talking some more AEW. The classifieds, the directory. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can be found at odphpodcast.com. Let's keep this short and simple. 3fmpodcast.com. All the links are there. Everything that you could want is a one-stop shop. Make sure you hit us up and get a hold of us. We definitely love talking to you about pro wrestling and also being entertaining. The website's going to be under construction, and there's a lot of new things in the works. Cannot wait to share them with the world, but we're not quite ready for that yet. But make sure you go there. Get all those social links. Get all the links to Public, Patreon, and everywhere else. Help support us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And also, let's add this out there. If you are listening on an Apple device, whether you use Apple Podcasts or not, could you please... Please think about subscribing or following, I should say now is the word, to 607TWS on your Apple Podcast app. Why? Because it means the world to us. That subscription or following in this case means you don't even have to listen to it there. You can listen to your other thing. But if you have an iPhone, it's already preloaded on your iPhone and you can't erase it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, just hit that follow button there and it actually helps us immensely with Apple Podcast numbers and we would really, truly appreciate it. Yes. It definitely boosts the algorithm so the show gets out to more people. More people means more listeners. More people and more listeners mean more community to talk pro wrestling with and that's what we want. And at the end of the day, it also means more content. Yes. With that being said... You guys are going to listen to our good friend Second Suitor. The song is called One Winged Angel. For those of you who have been listening a long time, you know that that's how we like to go out each and every week because it's the best one we can go out with. We will be back next week to recap the week that was in pro wrestling, talk our opinions on pro wrestling news, talk about some indie wrestling, and more importantly, preview the upcoming week like we always do. And as you know, we are the only wrestling podcast that's calling it right down the middle. For myself and Ken M., Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, later wrestling fans! Shatter the 
Smile, I see. Connect from the top ropes. 